This week on Geeksplained, you asked for it, now here it is. Join me as I pitch my version of an Iron Fist animated series. Welcome back to Pitch It. Welcome back to Geek Explained. I'm your host, Eric Kazana, and today's episode is the latest installment in our Pitch It series, where I take a specific character, a specific team, or a specific idea and pitch my version of what I would like to see. Uh, in the past, we've done my version of a Spider-Man movie, my version of a uh, Star Wars side story, and the one that's most nearest and dearest to my heart, our 100th episode which was my version of a Superman film. If you haven't checked those episodes out, go back in the archives, especially episode 100. It's my favorite episode that I've ever done for this podcast, and I love it so much. And doing another pitch it following that was kind of a daunting task for me. Um, you know, how do you top something like that that I put like my heart and soul into? And I decided that I wasn't going to try to top it. I was going to uh, take something that I still hold near and dear to my heart, which is the character of Iron Fist, and try to tell a story in three seasons of Danny Rand becoming the immortal Iron Fist. So our main event of this episode will be my pitch for three seasons of the Iron Fist animated series. I'm really excited about this. I've had this in my head for a really long time now, so I can't wait to share it with you all. We also have our latest weekly review on the newest episode of The Mandalorian, as well as, of course, this week's Comics Countdown. But before we get into all of that, let's check in with this week's news. All right, guys and dolls, let's talk some news. We've got our four categories, film, TV, comics, and miscellaneous. No comics news this week, so we're going to dive right into miscellaneous news, two pieces of video game news specifically. Uh, we finally have an update on the Avengers game. I know, it's been a little while now. So, um, the Avengers uh, game by Square Enix, Eidos, everybody, uh, <laughs> uh basically released a another war table video but this time it wasn't really a war table it was just kind of like a developer update that revealed that we finally know when Kate Bishop is coming out the Kate Bishop story DLC will be dropping on December 8th and uh, the video showed off a whole bunch of Kate Bishop uh, gameplay which looked really cool I just I wish I was excited for it in any way um, I hate saying that I should love this game I should be over the moon about everything about this game but I just I I like many people have dropped off. Uh, because of the lack of content, the uh, just 
overly repetitive gameplay and enemies and all that stuff that makes pretty much any of the end game stuff past the story mode not really interesting or fun to play. Uh, we did get a cool little tease for the next uh, DLC that'll be coming, which is uh, Clint Barton Hawkeye and is teasing a future imperfect story with the Maestro. So that should be cool. Um, it's supposed to be dropping in 2021. We'll see about that. But honestly, like I'm excited for Kate Bishop. I'll probably jump in just to see how she plays. But I don't really see myself sticking around. Um, we found out recently over the past week or so that a report came out that the Avengers game has lost 96% of its player base from day one. And I'm not surprised by that. It just, it's, it's, you know, it, it is a passable game, but it's just, it's not a fun time. Not like Marvel Spider-Man Miles Morales, which is our second part, uh, our second piece of news. I played Marvel's Spider-Man Miles Morales. I beat it. I platinumed it. I love this freaking game. Uh, just a quick review. I don't want to get into too much in case uh, anyone wants me to do like a full, like in-depth review uh, down the line. Totally open to that. If you would like me to go uh, further into detail on my thoughts, please feel free to let me know. But um, overall, it was fantastic. It is short which is probably the only knock i can give against it uh the story without any kind of like side missions or doing any collectibles and stuff you can beat in five hours but all of the side quests are uh i feel like should be mandatory quests because they are about basically miles becoming spider-man and getting in touch with his neighborhood and really this is your friendly neighborhood spider-man game if you were looking for something that was like i want a spider-man game that's not as bombastic as the first insomniac title but is a little bit more like intimate a little bit more um street level then miles morales is definitely going to be the game you're going to want to check out i love the gameplay um all of the new tweaks that they made the web swinging is Mwah! it's just chef's kiss it's so so good uh the story's fantastic too i really love this version of miles um and i think this is honestly a version of miles that can stack up against the spider-verse uh, version which is i think for a lot of people the definitive version of miles so overall great great game really really enjoyed it uh, moving on over to film news we've got two pieces of film news on both sides of the comic verse uh first off Marvel Disney News, Deadpool 3 is officially in the works. We now know that uh, they had been rumoring it, you know, all kinds of uh, speculation and conjecture has been going around, but uh, we got confirmation that Deadpool 3 is finally there. It's building steam. So uh, Deadpool 3 is, from what we hear, going to be a... Uh, a collaboration between Ryan Reynolds, who's kind of like, I would be, I would be really surprised if he didn't already own a piece of the character. Um, but he's going to be working very closely with uh, Kevin Feige and the entire Marvel Studios team. Uh, they have revealed that it is still going to be rated R, which I think is interesting. Um, and we do know who it's going to be written by. Uh, after meetings with dozens of writers, Ryan Reynolds and his production company. Uh, came to the decision that the Molino sisters will be writing this film. If you're not familiar with that name, uh, they are one of the main uh, teams of writers for Bob's Burgers, which is really exciting. I'm a huge fan of Bob's Burgers. Uh, so I'm looking forward to this. Should be a good time. I'm 
you know, there's still no uh, word on who would be directing it. I can't even think off the top of my head who I would choose for that. So uh, as news continues to roll in about that, I'll let you know. But the big piece of film news this week is that uh, Wonder Woman 84 is not only sticking with its theatrical release date of Christmas this year, but it's also going to be coming to HBO Max on that same day. That's right. If you are an HBO Max subscriber, you will be able to watch Wonder Woman 84 on Christmas Day at no additional charge from what they are uh from what they're saying right now. So it's going to, you know, simultaneously release in theaters and on HBO Max. Uh, Patty Jenkins basically said, you know, we want as many eyes on this as possible. And, you know, there comes a point where you have to put the enjoyment and the love that your fans have for a, a product over its, you know, over its projected, uh, marketability or something like that. But I think that's awesome. I think that's a great sentiment. Um, she did urge that where you can safely view it in theaters to go do so. But if you can't view it safely in theaters, HBO Max has got you. I'm really excited about this. I was hoping we weren't going to finish out the year without getting Wonder Woman 84, and I cannot wait to watch this film. And then jumping into TV news, we got four pieces of TV news for you this week. I'm going to kick things off with some sad news. Uh, we had another um we had another death this past week in the um in the nerd sphere uh kirby morrow who is a voice actor uh on-screen actor as well uh passed away this past week at the age of 47 there's no um official release on what the cause of death was but uh this has been a tough year uh if you if Kirby Morrow, the name doesn't sound familiar, if you're a fan of Inuyasha at any point, he played Moroku. Uh, he was also Goku in the uh, ocean dub of the, I believe it was the Cell Saga. Um, and then most notably, the name, the uh, the way that I got connected to him most was he played Cyclops in X-Men Evolution. Uh, Kirby Morrow was a big part of my childhood, and it hurts to see that he has passed. But uh, we're going to send all of our... Love and thoughts and prayers over to his family. Um, just hoping that they can get through this very tough time. Uh, rolling right along with uh, some more unfortunate news. Uh, Black Lightning. You all know how much I love Black Lightning. You all know how much I think that uh, the CW's Black Lightning is probably the best CW show that they have right now. Well, apparently, uh, CW doesn't agree because Black Lightning is ending at season four, which is the very next season. Um, the showrunner for Black Lightning, let me pull this up here, uh, whose name is uh, Salim Akil, said in a statement, <clears throat> When we first started the Black Lightning journey, I knew that Jefferson Pierce and his family of powerful black women would be a unique addition to the superhero genre. The love that Blurreds and all comic book fans around the globe have shown this series over the past three seasons proved what we imagined. Black people want to see themselves in all their complexities. Thank you to the phenomenal cast, writers, and crew, without none of whom this would have been possible. I'm incredibly proud of the work we've been able to do and the moments we've been able to create in bringing DC's first African-American family of superheroes to life for the culture. I'm very grateful to Peter Roth, Warner Brothers TV, Mark 
Pedowitz, the CW Network, and Greg Berlanti for their partnership and support of my vision at every step of this journey. While season four may be the end of one journey, I'm extremely excited to usher in a new chapter in continued collaboration with the CW as we tell the story of Painkiller. So yeah, uh, I think someone said that they had announced this already, but this is the first I'm hearing of it. Uh, Painkiller, I guess, is getting a spinoff series. I'm a little disappointed that it's not going to be uh, Thunder or Lightning. Um, but, I mean, the actor they have for uh, for the role of Painkiller is a mainstay with the CW, so it's not super surprising. I think his name is Jordan Calloway. Um, this is sad. I'm really disappointed by this. Um you know my thoughts on Black Lightning. If you want to go back in the archives, check out the uh, power ranking, the CW power rankings for 2020. It was our first annual uh, power rankings, and it's it's unfortunate. It's sad. Um, I think that the story that Black Lightning tells is a unique one, and I'm sad to see it go. I don't know what this means going forward for these characters. Also, this feels really strange. Um, just kind of looking back on crisis on infinite earths just in retrospect all the people who were sitting at that table at the very end of the sh- at at the very end of the crossover half of them are gone now um by the time that we get to the next crossover it's not you know this justice league that they had assembled is kind of um gone so that makes me sad i'm really disappointed by that um i would love to know the thought process behind getting rid of this show it just doesn't make any sense to me um gonna pivot here go with some really exciting news um doctor who doctor who is returning this year uh for a christmas special for the first time in a while with the revolution of the daleks we knew that this was coming out but this past week they did uh announced that a little you know they're sweetening the pot a little bit when it comes to this year's holiday special by revealing that captain jack harkness is returning to doctor who for this episode captain jack is back uh he had a spotlight in i believe was it prisoner of the jadoon i think was the fugitive of the jadoon was uh the season 12 episode where he showed up for a brief moment to talk to graham and then just popped off again. So I'm excited to see him again. Uh, we do know again that the Christmas special is entitled revolution of the Daleks. So I don't know what that means. Uh, really excited though. I'm looking forward to this. been missing some doctor who in my life. So I am looking forward to this for sure. And then finally in TV news, we had the unveiling for Titan season three. Starfire is getting a new costume or I guess Starfire is getting a costume this is the first costume that starfire is getting and they unveiled it this past monday and it looks good um i don't i might be in the minority here but i'm not blown away by the costume i'm glad that they are incorporating more um comic book more of a comic book feel to her look i'm glad that she's actually getting a costume but it it feels overcomplicated in like in a uh, early new 52 way uh which is i mean if that's what they're going for great knock it out of the park i'm glad that they're getting a costume for her in general i think she looks fantastic i'm not sold on a lot of the um overly designed elements they released a uh like a little concept sketch like detailing all of the thought process behind it and i think that made it worse uh <laughs> but 
I'm still excited about it. It looks great. I'm still not sold on Titan Season 3. I've been burned twice, but um, the costumes are great, so I have to give them props on that. And that is going to wrap up this week's news. And speaking of comic book TV, we're going to roll right on into this week's uh, main event, the entree, if you will, which is my pitch for an Iron Fist animated series. So I'm going to be honest, I'm a little nervous about this. <laughs> um, I've been working on this for a while now, and I've had this idea in my head for God knows how long. And um, it's a little daunting to think about, but um, this is uh, episode number 135, which marks the return of the Pitch It series. This is one of my favorite parts of this podcast where I get to pitch my version of a specific character, specific idea, specific concept, and just kind of go wild with it. So, um, the previous pitch it that we did was episode number 100 all the way back 20 hundred years ago <laughs> it feels like as 2020 has just been um 80 years at this point but it was uh my version of a superman film it's one of, it's probably my favorite episode of this entire podcast if you haven't checked it out please go do so um this is my pitch for an iron fist animated series uh iron fist has had kind of a tough time really <laughs> uh connecting uh outside of the comics and even Sometimes in the comics as well. I think the last uh, Iron Fist-centric comic that I really enjoyed was uh, Power Man and Iron Fist. An incredible book. If you haven't picked that up, it's only, I think, two volumes. So do yourself a favor. Go check it out. Um, but outside of the comics, Iron Fist has, has had kind of a rough go. Uh, he's appeared in a couple different animated forms in both the Avengers Earth's Mightiest Heroes show as well as Ultimate Spider-Man. And everyone knows just how well the Netflix adaptation of the character went. So um, trying to come up with something that uh, not only competes, but hopefully, fingers crossed, is a little bit better than that is uh, it's a daunting task but it's something that i am up to the challenge for and it's something that i am excited to share with you all so um a couple things just some uh just some housekeeping when it comes to this. Uh, had some inspirations when coming up with the story. Uh, comics like Immortal Iron Fist, the Power Man and Iron Fist uh, book that I just talked about, as well as books that uh, kind of dive into those uh, origin stories like uh, Batman Year One. Uh, when it comes to films, I was looking at films like Captain America, The Winter Soldier, Batman Begins, Amazing Spider-Man. I know it's a weird collection, but they were films that did influence this in a way. And then when it comes to TV, uh, there was Daredevil, there was Arrow, Avatar, uh, Legend of Korra, as well as a little, little peppering of uh, some anime, like you 
Hakusho and uh, Dragon Ball. So uh, ground rules for this. Um, this story spread across three seasons. It's going to be three seasons of an animated series. It's going to be spread from an origin story, how he becomes Iron Fist, all the way to being an established hero for hire. Um, this is going to be an animated series. I wanted to come at it with this kind of, uh, with this idea in mind and this kind of fixed. Uh, it's not going to specifically be an animated series like, uh, Batman the Animated Series, which is very much uh, episodic uh, storytelling. This is very much going to be uh, serialized storytelling from se- from season to season. Um, there won't be a whole lot of other heroes involved. Uh, that might be cheating, but um, but you'll see. You'll see. Uh, this is also a going to be in a mid two thousand setting. I know that's really weird, but. Um, I also wanted to kind of draw on my experiences and a lot of people when coming up with the stuff with uh, stories, uh, stuff that kind of speaks to them. The mid-2000s is really what um, kind of spoke to me, the t- the super fast-paced shifting times of the 2000s, um, everything that happened there. And also, this is a big one. Uh, speaking of my experiences, uh, Danny Rand in my version of Iron Fist is mixed race. He is half Asian, half white. Um, his mother is Asian. His father is white. Uh, I I really, for the longest time, ever since they uh, first announced that he was going to be coming to Netflix, I was dead set on Danny being an Asian American. Not just because the character was created at a time where... Um, white people taking other cultures and appropriating them was the norm, which was like, you know, the seventies. But also I, I feel like it just makes more sense. It makes more sense for Danny to have this kind of background. And, uh, for me, it just, it's, it tells a more honest story. Um, so here are my goals for this, uh, for this pitch it. Uh, I want to tell a fun story. I want to tell something that's enjoyable, something that, uh, if you were, you know, flipping through Netflix or you were flipping channels and you saw it, you'd be like, yeah, I could watch a couple episodes of this. Uh, speaking of Netflix, I want it to be better than the Netflix series. I know that, um, a lot of people, really dunked on that show. That show, I think, did some things right. It was definitely the weakest out of all of the Netflix uh, adaptations, and I strive to make this, hopefully, a more enjoyable experience. Uh, I want to make this also like a health... I want to make this a healthy balance of action as well as human drama, because I think that when you take influences, like the ones that I've taken, a lot of what makes those work is that at the core of those stories, they are human stories that happen to have a bunch of action in them, which is still, you know, fun and exciting. But at the heart of it, you want to care about these characters. Uh, Also, there is a love story in this. There is, I want this to be a good love story alongside all of the punching and kicking i want to honor iron fist stories from the past while putting little twists on them little twists on them here and there um i think the uh the choices that i made would are uh, are fun choices and i think that they could be really um 
really exciting to watch week to week if you're watching this as an animated series. I want to flesh out the supporting cast just as much as Danny. Any good animated series is not just focused on one character, but has a great supporting cast surrounding them so that even if that character doesn't appear or they're on the sidelines for some reason, you still care about these characters. And also, I, w I just want to tell a genuine story. I want it to be something that could be looked at as you know a great Iron Fist story. And so um, a couple things that I would like to incorporate in this in my imaginary, you know, studio world, um, I would like to take a lot of influences animation wise from anime, of course, but also uh, Legend of Korra specifically, both Avatar, both Last Airbender series, uh, Avatar as well as Legend of Korra, um, I think are worth their merit and I want to draw from both of them, but specifically, um, I've I've been rewatching Legend of Korra recently, and I just think it's it's a gorgeous show to look at, uh, from the backgrounds to the fight choreography. It's just it's so well done, and I definitely want to incorporate that. So um, basically, once again, these are three seasons of an animated series for Iron Fist. So I think with all of that out of the way, we just go ahead and jump right into it. So this is my pitch for an Iron Fist animated series, and we are going to kick things off with season one. So season one of Iron Fist the Animated Series is 13 episodes, and I'm going to kind of go through this by acts. So um, we have a lot of episodes to cover, so um, I'm going to give you kind of the basic overlay of what the uh, what the seasons would involve, uh, little highlights in each episode, and we'll just kind of roll from there. So season one, three acts, act one, act two, act three. Act one is episodes one through four. So episode one kind of gives you all of the establishing stuff that you need to know about what this show is. Um, it starts off with the uh, Rand's plane crashing into uh, the Himalayas, uh, kicks off 10 years later, where Danny and his companion Davos are returning to New York. They uh, basically, the dynamic here that I would like to have is that Danny is, you know, a little bit brash, a little bit. Um, I would say uh, a little over eager and Davos is kind of his, uh, his bodyguard, his mentor, almost like an Alfred and Bruce kind of, uh, relationship that they have. Davos is kind of a paternal figure for Danny. He was there when Danny was initially brought to Kunlun and he has kind of watched over him and so he was sent with Danny as they arrived back to New York. Uh, as they do, uh, we also get the introduction to our secondary protagonist, which is Misty Knight. Misty Knight is a is a rookie detective on the NYPD. And as Danny and Davos arrive in New York, they of course make waves, uh, specifically for Harold Meacham, who is running Rand Corporation at this point. And the two of them are, at first, you know, Danny is very like, well, 
you know, like, oh man, Uncle Harold and stuff. And Harold's like, oh my God, I'm glad you're alive and all this stuff. And Davos is immediately just very stoic and he's very like, I don't trust this guy. And so um, there's a little bit of a kerfuffle uh, as someone is trying to get to uh, Harold Meacham during a press conference announcing that Danny has returned. And Davos immediately just dispatches this guy. And so they are able to um, basically get everything under control. And as Danny and Davos go to explore the city, we get this stinger at the end of the first episode where uh, Harold reveals that he was the one that not only uh, tried to place the hit on Danny during the press conference, but also was the one responsible for the death of Danny's parents. So episode two, we kick off with uh, Danny's origin, basically telling you what happened following the opening scene in the first episode. Danny is brought to Kunlun. Uh, he meets Davos as well as UT, the ruler of Kunlun, and basically begins training alongside Davos. Uh, Kunlun is, I wouldn't say it's, you know, super oppressive looking but the just the overall uh look of kunlun is um very old structures not super um i wouldn't say super uplifting when you look at it not very bright in its color palette so a lot of the focus of this episode is basically just on danny's training he continues to try to uh train up his body so that he can return and you find that he is getting ready to uh, face off you know he's basically like I want to go back to New York I wanted you know there are things I need to know there are things I need to there are loose ends that I need to tie up and that's when Davos you know they're having this kind of like talk besides the fire at night and Davos is like well you know the only way that you'll be able to really leave this place is to ki to kill Shu Lao. And Danny's like, what's Shu Lao? And then we cut to current day while um, all of this stuff has been going on. You know, Danny meets with Harold one more time and basically Harold is like, well, you know, I, I want to give over the company to you, but, you know, I've been, you know, just making it so successful in the last 10 years. So, but, but, but we'll talk, we'll talk, we'll talk. And Danny, you know, goes to leave and he and Davos are kind of in the elevator and the, the stinger for episode two is basically Danny revealing that he knows that Harold was responsible for the death of his parents and he came to New York to kill Harold. And so immediately we kind of set things apart from the Netflix series in that Danny's quest to come back to New York is about vengeance. Danny wants vengeance and he wants Harold's head. But Davos, and we find out that the reason that Davos has come with him is that he is basically there to keep Danny from just gutting him immediately. <laughs> he knows that the outside world is very different from Kunlun, and so he is basically there to temper Danny's um, impulsiveness. Uh, episode three is when uh, Danny meets Misty Knight for the first time. Uh, they kind of run into each other after Misty is chasing down a perp who has taken Danny uh, hostage, and he's basically holding him by gunpoint. He's like, you know, let me go or I'll, I'll shoot him, and 
uh, Misty is able to disarm him while saving Danny. And Danny, you know, is about to kind of work his way out of it, but Misty ends up saving him. And so they immediately have this connection. Uh, following this, Misty finds out that the, or Danny finds out that Misty was chasing this perp because of a connection to a child trafficking ring that is going on in New York. And so the next episode, episode four, we see Danny kind of taking, uh, basically taking this investigation into his own hands. Um, he kind of asks Misty about it just casually. He meets up with her at the precinct and he's like, Hey, you know what's going on with this? And she's like, I shouldn't even be telling you this, but whatever. And so, uh, Danny kind of takes it upon himself. And this is the first time that we see him don the iron fist mask. It's the, you know, it's the yellow head wrap with the eye holes on it. Um, and you can tell that it's kind of haphazard. The eye holes are kind of like cut out. And so this is very much like a proto suit for him. And he's wearing just kind of this, um, how do you, how do I describe it? It's, it's basically like this track suit, this green and yellow track suit. It's like I said, very much like a proto version of his normal, uh, wear. So this is all action from the, from the latter half of the episode on. He's basically taking on this, uh, child trafficking ring i recognize this probably sounds very familiar but i think it's um i think it's worth it because this is also the first time that we see danny use the iron fist ability and it's not going to be uh the same way that it was um kind of translated in the netflix series i want danny's fist to catch fire when he uses the Iron Fist ability, just like in the comics, his fists um, all the way probably up his forearm, you know, kissing, you know, the tip of his elbow just catches fire. And so that's where the power comes in. His fists do glow, but when he's really like putting his all into a punch, they just erupt in flame. So he's able to liberate the children that are being held hostage, and he realizes that there might be something more to being in New York besides revenge. So act two is episodes five through nine. Big act two, like, you know, the traditional traditionally are. Uh, act two, episode five, kicks off with the backstory behind Harold Meacham. We find out that he and Danny's father, Wendell Rand, were friends from childhood. But while Harold came from a very low-born um background Wendell had every single opportunity in the world given to him because of his family and so Wendell basically grew up in lap and luxury and this really caused Harold to uh essentially to basically grow uh super jealous of uh of Wendell and so as the years went on and Wendell became more and more um successful he started to give harold you know these jobs and he's like the two of us can grow together but harold would kind of take this as always oh, giving me charity he's taking pity on me and so when wendell disappeared to go on basically went on this uh globe hopping journey to find himself in their uh in his early 20s uh harold started to concoct this scheme that he was going to take the resources of the fledgling rand corporation and was going to legitimately try to ruin wendell and when wendell returned with a wife a pregnant wife might i add um harold knew that 
his path to running Rand was going to be um, a little bit harder to achieve than previously uh, previously expected. And so we see Harold uh, concoct the scheme to have uh, the entire Rand family wiped out. And it, of course, goes to plan because that's how it is. Um, and so this is, again, just an episode to kind of establish who Harold is, why he's doing the things he's doing. Um, there is no Ward and Joy Meacham in this. I, I liked their inclusion in the Netflix show and their roots in the comics. But for me, for the story that I'm telling, just Harold Meacham is kind of what I wanted to focus on. So the next episode, episode six, involves a bigger spotlight on Misty. We see that she is starting to become frustrated with the NYPD because she is is trying to fight back against the very clear corruption within the uh, within the institution and I really wanted to put a spotlight on you know Misty Knight who is an African-American woman fighting against the uh, just the cultural oppression of the NYPD. I think it's timely. I think it makes sense. So um, that's what this episode is kind of dedicated to. Uh, we also see that this vigilante who is starting to pop up in different places, uh, starting to gain a little bit of attention. Danny obviously was inspired by his first night as a vigilante. So he's continuing to make, you know, appearances. We get like a little montage of him going through and like attacking uh attacking people or attacking criminals and breaking up little um, little crimes here and there. Uh, episode 7 introduces us to Jerry Hogarth, who is uh, Danny's childhood friend. Jerry is the lawyer for the uh, Rand Corporation, and he is just... He's everyone's best... He's essentially fulfilling the uh, Foggy Nelson role here. He is very inept, very bumbling, very... Um, uh, very endearing in his clumsiness, and he and Danny are just over the moon seeing each other again and being able to reconnect. Unfortunately, we do see that uh, in the years since he's been able to see Danny, since um, Danny disappeared when they were both 10 years old, uh, Jerry not only you know became a lawyer, but the stress of going through that whole system of becoming a lawyer uh, kind of drove him into uh, drug addiction. And so we see him, you know, wrestling with that. Danny takes it upon himself once again because Danny is just headstrong and jumps into things to uh, go after the um, the drug ring where uh, Jerry is getting his supply from. He breaks them up and he and uh, Jerry end up having, because he goes to make this raid on the final uh, little lab that is running the drugs and that's a exactly at the point that jerry is going for his next fix so the two of them run into each other uh jerry immediately recognizes danny because he's just like do you think that just not seeing your face from the cheeks up i wouldn't know who you are like it's i i always loved that in the uh green lantern movie that reference that's like i know exactly who you are like why do you think a little mask would change things so i like that they basically establish that um, Jerry's going to keep Danny's secret and the two of them are going to work towards getting, ho getting Jerry the help that he needs. So the next episode, episode eight is the first date 
for uh, Misty and Danny. Uh, throughout this season as well, uh, Danny has been working with Davos to try and expose some of the uh, back alley dealings with uh, with Harold as well as Rand uh, Corporation because they recognize that taking down. Uh, Taking down Harold is going to be difficult because he has the company around him. So if they oust him from the company, it's going to be a lot easier. So they're trying to expose him, trying to expose the uh, basically all the shady connections that he has in the city, which do, of course, contribute also to the corruption in the NYPD. Uh, but this is, you know, for the most part, a nice break from that. Misty and Danny go on their first date. They are going to Harlem and Danny gets to kind of feel like a fish out of water while also kind of diving into, you know, his, uh, upbringing as a, um, as a, uh, biracial, uh, as a biracial person. And so I want this episode to really be a spotlight on both Misty and Danny's upbringings, why they chose the path that they did, as well as, uh, show why they fit so well together. Also at the end of this episode, we get you know, the, um, we get a text to Danny from Jerry because, of course, now that Jerry's on board with Danny, uh, he is going to help Danny oust Harold. Uh, he gives Danny the first breakthrough in his search to uh, oust Meacham, f- to oust Harold Meacham from Rand Corp. And so, uh, episode nine is this big, uh, is this big episode. I really wanted to, um, I really wanted to uh, do this because I just, I, it's going to be very clear what the influence is on this, but I just, I wanted to do it. So um, Danny gets a clue or basically gets a heads up, a tip off that uh, Harold is going to be meeting with some uh, shady benefactors in this uh, warehouse near the docks. And so as this is going on, uh, we start to find out as well that uh, Danny's vigilante, um, his uh, vigilante efforts are not going unnoticed by the NYPD, and they are starting to put a target on his back because they have some guy who's du- you know doing dust ups and trying to um, basically you know take their job and do their job for them. So the corrupt members of the NYPD are like, we gotta get rid of this guy. Uh, because he's also interfering with some of their uh, some of their shady deals. So uh, this episode, basically, Iron Fist goes to uh, this warehouse. Uh, Davos is basically like, I don't think you should do this. This feels too easy. We have been searching for months at this point, or we've been searching for weeks at this point, and this it it feels too perfect. Why would he? Do why would he leave something so obvious if he has been covering his tracks so well for the last ten years? But Danny doesn't listen. He thinks this is his fir- this is his chance to get at Harold. So he goes to this warehouse where he finds that it is an NYPD ambush. Harold has used his connections within the NYPD. He's gotten wind of everything going on, and so he wants this vigilante character who has been interfering with all of their uh, corrupt business dealings to pay. So we get this full-on Iron Fist versus the NYPD ambush in this warehouse. He is trying to uh, get through them without 
you know, critically harming them while also taking, you know, just overwhelming force because he is outnumbered. He's alone at this warehouse and he is just being just batted from room to room, get, you know, getting shot in the shoulder, trying to survive, knocking out the lights and using his chi to like light up different parts that he can see. And at the very last moment when he finally, you know, there, there's a point where he is, he finally decides, okay, I'm going to use the Iron Fist ability, and he ends up uh, causing a fire that sets the entire uh, warehouse ablaze. So he is able, he's now forced to not only try and escape, but also to save um, the lives of the people who he knocked out prior to uh, setting the warehouse on fire. And as he is able to finish doing that, he is confronted by more officers. And so Danny has to escape down an alleyway, and that's when he runs into Misty Knight with her gun drawn. And she's like, you know, freeze. You know, she's about to radio in, and Danny pulls off his mask. And that's where the episode ends. So that ends episode nine. That ends ep- that ends act two, and we roll right on into act three. Act three is episodes 10 through 13. Uh, episode 10... Uh, kicks off with Danny and Misty in uh, Misty's apartment. They are, you know, sitting silently across the room from each other. Danny is just like he's bleeding, he's haggard looking, and he's just like I, I, I don't know how to, I don't know how to explain this to you. And the two of them, you know, start to go back and forth. This is very much kind of a bottle episode. It's contained with the two of them just hashing everything out the secrets that he kept they had been they've been dating for a little while um and so uh misty finally like breaks up with him she's like you've lied to me like this entire time she's like i can't trust you 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 have to go i saved you this time because i feel like i owe it to you but that's it you're gone and so danny leaves and you know as he's trying to make his way back he stumbles into this bar and he sits down at the counter and he is basically just kind of like sitting there, you know, at this CD bar, uh, this, you know, hold the wall dive bar. And the bartender comes up. He's like, hey, can I get you anything? And Danny's like, just, you know, the stiffest drink you can. And the, the bartender goes for a second, comes back and he slides a glass to Danny. Danny drinks it. He's like, is this ginger ale? And he looks up at the bartender and the bartender kind of gives him like this, like this smirk. And he's like, you didn't show me ID. You didn't show me nothing. Like, I'm not going to give you alcohol. (laughs) And so they have this conversation where um, Danny is basically talking about like, he feels like he has to do something. He feels like he has been uh, training. He, He has been building himself up for the last decade for a, for a specific purpose and he is trying to um figure out if this has all been a lie because he feels like he is caught between two lives he's trying to you know get revenge at the same time that he's trying to be a hero at the same time that he's trying to pick up with his life as danny rand and the bartender basically tells him like you're the only person who can make that decision the only person who can decide who you are going to be is you and so um, they have this really nice conversation, this really, you know, good heart to heart where Danny is able to kind of get his strength back. 
and he decides that okay i'm going to i'm going to figure this out thank you so much and he leaves and this is you know he walks out of the uh of the bar and that's when you see the sign says luke's so it's fairly obvious who that bartender was who he was talking to but i just i wanted to give that little that little tease because i think that would be a, a fun cameo to make uh episode 11 involves a flashback and we finally get to see danny versus the dragon but very specifically it is from davos's perspective davos is watching danny who he's seen grow up for the last 10 years he's been almost like this older brother figure for him and the two of them you know are talking Basically, before um, before he goes in, he's like, you know, doing the mick to uh, Danny's Rocky, and he's like, you know, you're, you're gonna do this. We believe in you. Like, you you've been training, you know, for, la- for most of your life to do this. You've got this. I believe in you. Danny's like, I don't know. I don't know if I can do this. Like, I'm I'm really scared. And Davos is like, the second that something goes wrong, I'm there. You and I are brothers, and I will always protect you. And Danny is like, okay, all right, I am, I'm, I'm going to do this. Uh, so basically that is kind of intercut with Danny returning to Davos and Davos is basically, you know, in present day, basically going like, this didn't work. Like we're, we are horribly outnumbered. Like I told you not to go. You aren't listening to me. And now, now we are even further back than we were and Harold knows what's going on. So we aren't going to, we're done here. Like we are going to have to go back to Kunlun. We're going to have to regroup and we will figure out what to do from there. But as of right now, we're done. And Danny's like, no, like we can't, we can't do this. I, I, I have to do this. I have to, I have to avenge my family. And so this is once again, like intercut with Davos in the past in the flashback, watching Danny fight, uh, Shulao. And so as soon as Danny is able to strike down uh, Shulao, you know, Shulao's got him on the ropes and Davos has to kind of look away because he knows what's about to happen. And then there's this silence and he kind of like looks back out into the arena and he sees that Danny has struck down Shulao. Uh, so episode 12. Episode 12 is basically uh, Davos has convinced Danny to go back and um to Kunlun to regroup. Uh Danny is dejected, but he understands what the uh what the cost is. And that's when he gets the that's when he gets a call from Jerry. And he's basically like, I've got it. Like I've been running the numbers. I've gone back through years of legal paperwork. I have everything. We need to strike now, and I'm going to release this. And so we get to have uh, this this conversation between Danny and Davos at this uh, ship dock where they were going to hop on a ship and go. So um, the two of them are basically like having this final like conversation where Davos is like, I'm going whether you come with me or not. I can't I can't be caught up in what's going to happen to you. And Danny's like. I can't lose this chance. If I don't find out what happened, if I don't, you know, get him back for what he did to my family, I am never going to be whole. And so they part. Danny returns to uh, Jerry, and the two of them are going to go after Harold. So 
we come to episode 13, the finale, the big finale. And so uh, Danny and we kind of cut to, you know, a day later where um, through the uh, through the legal witchery, witchcraft of uh, Jerry Hogarth, he is able to uh, expose Harold Meacham's business dealings, expose him for all the corrupt stuff that he's done and. Harold is being arrested and being ousted from Rancor. Uh, Danny is given active, um, basically given active uh, control of the company tentatively. Uh, but in the meantime, Danny goes to visit Harold in jail. And he has this conversation with him. He's like, I want to hear you say it. I want to hear you say you killed my parents. And there's this, I want this to be just this great, like, conversation between the two of them where Harold just digs into Danny talking about how he's a spoiled brat, how his father was, how his father got everything that he ever wanted and Harold had to work for everything and the work that he put in whether it was in the light or in the dark, he did on his own. No one helped him, no one you know held his hand through it and so yes he took what he wanted just like he always did and he killed danny's parents but that it doesn't matter now because the revenge that danny wanted from him so badly he is never going to get and so you know danny leaves in a huff but at the same time we get this clue that the nypd is going to try and slip harold out of the country and so Basically, there's this prisoner transfer where Harold is being driven. The drivers in his specific vehicle of the convoy uh, just go rogue. And so they are trying to... uh, It's basically covered up by this uh, car accident that happens, and they slip away. And so Danny goes after them. Danny is able to chase them to this this, uh, airfield this air hangar where they're going to fly Harold Meacham overseas and he's going to be able to do whatever he wants. And so we get our final confrontation in this air, in basically in this hangar where Danny is faced up with faced up against all of the forces that Harold has brought with him. And this is just Danny throwing down with all of them. As soon as he's about to get overwhelmed, Davos shows up. And he, you know, reaffirms to Danny, we're brothers. I have you. I've got you. You've got me. Regardless of whether I, you know, believe in your uh, methods, that's never going to change. And so you get to see the two of them throwing down together. Um, So it's this great action sequence where uh, Danny and Davos defeat all of Harold's guards. And they're able to finally bring Harold to justice. Um... Oh, I should have mentioned as well, um, the big, the way that um, Danny is able to get the location of Harold is because uh, Misty Knight is part of the, uh, basically is part of the, um, of the convoy, the prisoner transport, and Harold is, when he escapes, she is the one that gives him the info, and so they're able to apprehend Harold, send him back, he's going to prison for life, and Danny and uh, Misty kind of get this last, like, moment at the precinct, where uh, Misty basically tells him, you know, like, 
this was a one-off. And Danny's like, you know, but where's, you know, where, where does that put us? And Misty looks at him and she's like, you're a vigilante. Like I am trying to enact change here and this is my career. And hate to break it to you, but you're just a boy. And even though you can, you can tell that it's paining her to say these words. You can tell that, you know, the two of them really do love each other. Um, she can't, you know, put her entire life aside just to, you know, appease Danny. So the two of them part, Danny goes, you know, steps outside and he's basically, you know, all in on the, uh, on the Rand name, the Rand Corp. He's, you know, dressed in a suit now and he's, you know, there's this big ass like limo where Davos is just kind of standing there. He's got like his own little nice suit on and he's just like, you know, all right, let's go. You got like 600 meetings in the next three hours. And Danny's like, table and meetings. I am gonna, I'm gonna take some time. And you see him kind of walk away. And Davos is like, all right. And he just kind of gets in the limo, drives off. And Danny kind of, he takes the subway. And so the final scene of season one is Danny, you know, sitting in the subway. We've got a nice song playing, you know, that, that end of season song. Um, and so Danny, you know, kind of looks over in the uh, subway car and he sees this, uh, this girl getting bullied by these three guys because of, uh, the book that she's reading. And as soon as Danny kind of stands up to do something, this girl just like kicks all their asses, just flips them all over the place, you know, knocks their legs out from under them. And her book kind of goes sliding across the floor of the subway car. And Danny goes and picks it up and he hands the book to her and he's just like, that was amazing. And she's like, yeah, thanks. And he's like, oh, I'm Danny Rand. And she's like, yeah, I know who you are. You're like the most famous guy in New York City. And she says, and Danny goes like, it's, that's a great book. And it's a book on uh, Eastern philosophy. And he's like, you know, he kind of looks at her and he's like, what's, what's, what's your name? And she looks at him and she's like, Colleen Wing. And he kind of smiles at her. And that's the end of season one. Now, there is one post-credits at the end of uh, episode 13. And that's basically, you know, this guy is sitting in a bar, you know, halfway across the world. And you see the uh, television above the bar. This is very seedy, you know, not well put together bar. But this guy in this brown trench coat is kind of slumped over the bar you know, and you see the news report about the ousting of Harold Meacham and the return of Danny Rand. And at that name, you know, the guy kind of po- peeks his head up and he looks and you see his eyes just widen looking at the screen and looking at Danny Rand. And you see him get up from the bar. The guy's like, oh, where are you going? Blah, blah, blah. And as he's like walking towards the door, we get like this... Um, this one set shot of the figure of the per- of the guy walking towards the camera and you see his uh his trench coat basically like shift a little to reveal the iron fist insignia on the shirt underneath and that's where that ends which brings us to season 2 <laughs>
So season two is going to kind of throw things off the rails a little bit. Season two takes place six months later. Uh, Act one is episodes one through five. Uh, Episode one is basically kind of establishing what's going on right now. Uh, Danny is getting overwhelmed by his responsibilities, both as, you know, the new head of the Rand Corporation, as well as his vigilante, um, his vigilante exploits, as well as uh, dealing with what to do next really in his life. So he has been really leaning on Davos. The two of them are working together to try and figure out what to do. Anytime that Danny, you know, goes off to do vigilante stuff, Davos is always the one covering for him at the company. And this ends up becoming a problem when Davos is attacked. There's there's this big meeting between uh, some of the biggest companies in New York, uh, and during the meeting, while Davos is kind of backing up uh, Danny during it, the meeting is attacked by this trench coated figure, the one we saw in the um, in the post credits sequence, the little stinger at the end of season one. And he is able to, he basically is gunning down people left and right, trying to get to Danny. And Davos is immediately the one who engages him. Danny doesn't know what the hell is happening because he recognizes some of the stuff that, uh, that this attacker is wearing. He's wearing the same kind of yellow, um, head wrap as well as the, um, Iron Fist symbol peeking out from under his under his trench coat. And during the attack, Danny is essentially knocked out of the building. That's it's this big like skyscraper area. Danny gets knocked out of the window, falls, you know, probably two or three floors, is able to catch himself, you know, is able to pull himself back into the building and as uh, he returns, he kind of suits up into this, you know, iron fist gear that he's, you know, starting to kind of build for himself. He runs back up and he uh, engages with this attacker who is uh, at this point uh, fighting and pretty handily knocking Davos around. And he is like shouting at him. He's like, you traitor, you liar. And Davos is like, you know, trying to defend himself, Danny intervenes as the Iron Fist. Uh, he engages with or with uh, with this. <laughs> I don't want to give it away. You know who it is, but I'm trying to keep the suspense here. Um, he engages with this mysterious assailant who is able to um, overpower Danny pretty quickly. And as he reaches up to strike the final blow, his left fist erupts in flames just like Danny's and he goes to strike and Davos throws himself in between the two of them and Davos is critically injured uh Danny kind of for a moment kind of loses himself his eyes kind of like glow with this this uh, mysterious chi energy and he straight up with his right fist blasts this assailant straight through the other room out the window and you know, out into the open air. Um, Danny gives chase the end of the w- to the window, but he finds that the figure has disappeared. And he goes back and finds that Davos is critically injured. So episode two 
aftermath of this attack. Um, Danny just doesn't know what the hell is happening. He doesn't know why uh, this guy was trying to attack him. Um, uh, Davos is in critical condition and he's basically put, he's basically in a coma. He's put into a medically induced coma to keep him alive. And so this episode is about Danny trying to investigate, trying to get any kind of, um, any kind of clues as to who this person is, why he attacked them, and this is when we get our first big, um, proper introduction to Colleen Wing. Uh, you find out that the two of them have been, uh, friends for the last six months. They've been, uh, training together, uh, Colleen caught on pretty quickly that Danny was this mysterious vigilante, now known as the Iron Fist, um, and so, Something that uh, Danny is, or something that I want to make really clear is that even though, you know, Danny is the, essentially the muscle, uh, Colleen is the brains. She is just as capable as Danny, you know, physically, but it's really her strategic mind that is able to kind of outsmart Danny in any of the sparring matches that they have, which they have one in this episode because Danny is. I, I think this is something that I would like to see more often. The two of them have this sparring match where the two of them are working through the evidence that they've found and the info that they've been able to to um, to uh, to compile together because, in their words, their bodies can move and do what they want while their minds can work. So um, something that Colleen has taught Danny is to, you know, use less, you know, punch-punch, use more think-think. Uh, those aren't the words, but I just like, that's the way that it kind of like came out to me in my brain. But, um, so the two of them are, are investigating. The two of them are trying to find any kind of clues and they are able to, um, get this really grainy, uh, surveillance camera photo of someone matching his, you know, matching the assailant's basic look. And they know that he is living in this, or at least he's staying for the moment in this like super seedy motel uh, near the edge of the city. So they go, which brings us to episode three, which is Danny and Colleen confronting this character. Uh, the two of them battle on the, in the streets at the early morning, rain's falling, and this guy absolutely just whoops Danny. Danny is able to get a momentary bit of... Um, of uh, an upper hand when he starts using his Iron Fist ability, lighting up his right fist and really just going to town on him. But this uh, this mysterious man gets the upper hand again when he unveils two pistols that fire off the same kind of chi energy that Danny uh, that Danny has with his Iron Fist abilities. Uh, the guy is able to overwhelm Danny and defeats him but as Danny's laying there in the street uh rain pouring down on him the guy is just kind of like standing over him and Danny's like you know just just do it just do it you came to New York to kill me just do do your worst and he's like he, he basically says you you came to New York to kill the Iron Fist you know might as well finish the job and the guy's standing over him and he looks down at him he's like you're no Iron Fist. I'm the Iron Fist. And he leaves. So episode four, 
we get a full-on backstory with Colleen, basically going over her childhood. Um, she came from an orphanage where she had to learn to fight to survive. And so Colleen, you know, pretty quickly took up martial arts. She was uh, a champion, uh, basically a she went to competitions. She was a regional champion when it came to uh, mixed martial arts. And she basically, again, kind of reiterating that she has this incredibly tactical mind that she is able to um, outthink and outsmart anyone that she's come into contact with when it comes to sparring or fighting. And this is kind of interspersed with her sitting in a hospital room with, uh, with Danny. And she's kind of like doing her... Uh, her movements to try and work through all of the evidence and the Danny is able to you know kind of recover from his beating and the two of them are getting ready to leave when Jerry for the you know the first real kind of uh, spotlight we give to Jerry in this season kind of busts the door open he's like Davos is awake and so they go to back to Davos's room for episode five and in episode five we find Davos who is just kind of woken up from his critical condition, and he tells the story of Orson Randall. Orson Randall was the previous Iron Fist. He was a man who was raised in Kunlun, and after being drafted into World War II, he was, or sorry, he left Kunlun after becoming the Iron Fist and participated in World War II. I know that kind of you know, pushes up his personal history in the comics. He was in World War One, but I think for the sake of this story, uh, World War Two is the uh, is the place to go. So, uh, like I said, Orson Randall served in World War Two, saw a lot of terrible stuff, was inflicted with uh, PTSD, and was uh, changed when he returned to Kunlun following the following the war. Um, there was a period after the war from for about like five to ten years where Orson kind of, you know, went off the uh, off the map. They couldn't find him anywhere, but he was recalled to Kunlun to serve in some kind of tournament. More on that later. Um, at this tournament, Orson made a choice. He killed someone and he escaped and he has been on the run ever since. Uh, Davos kind of surmises that Orson, you know, came here to kill Danny because with Danny having, uh, having also killed Shu Lao, he ha he holds the Iron Fist ability. However, because usually um, the Iron Fist dies before, or the current Iron Fist dies before the next Iron Fist is chosen, they are able to access all of the abilities of, or that they are granted for being able to strike down uh, Shu Lao. But because two Iron Fists are active at the same time, they each are splitting the power of Shu Lao. And so Davos basically says he's probably here to kill you so that he can take the entire Iron Fist ability for himself and then destroy Kunlun because of, you know, some grudge that he has. So that is basically kind of setting up everything that you need to know for the season going on. Uh, season, or Act 2, uh, is episode 6 through episode 11. 
Episode 6 is involving basically the hunt for Orson. They're trying to find him before he finds Danny. Danny is a little, you know, he he's he's a little cautious about this. He doesn't know why if Orson wants uh, Danny's power for himself, why he left him alive during their fight. Um, Danny didn't tell Davos that he fought Orson, but he figures he's going to keep that to himself until he knows more information. This is also the introduction to the Yoshida Corps. Uh, Yoshida Corps is a rival company that is trying to buy out Rand Corps. And they basically are, during this episode, uh, making a pitch to Danny to be like, look, your boy got attacked. You obviously have seen better days and you are dividing your time. You can't run your company. Let us buy it out from you. And so there's, I, I wanted to insert some corporate stuff because it's important. Um, so th- that's kind of the, uh, the, crux of this episode uh jerry also kind of because he's been working with Rand for the last few years before danny returned uh he has had dealings every so often with yashida yashida was um basically uh it's basically run by shingen harada uh if you are a marvel fan or an X-Men fan, or a Wolverine fan, those names might sound familiar to you, uh, but Yoshida Corps has basically been trying to get Rand Corps from uh, Harold Meacham for a while, and with the pass, or not the passing, but with the uh, incarceration of Harold Meacham, uh, Rand Corps is basically primed for the taking. Uh, Danny is not willing to give his company over to Yoshida because he knows and uh, Hogarth has Jerry Hogarth has basically told him like they are bad dudes. Like they are just as bad as Harold. The reason that they wanted to, you know, get the company from Harold is because they were running a lot of the same uh, corners and they were conflicting with their business. They were competing both on the public, uh, on the public space as well as the underground space. So uh, that's the reason that they want this company. And, Uh, Danny just kind of like he's hit a wall looking for Orson he doesn't know what to do so he's like okay well I took down um, I took down uh, Meacham I can take down Harada as well which brings us to episode 7 they're able to find a uh, a shipment that is happening for uh, for the Ishida Corps uh, off the books of course which is this big raid and uh, Danny shows up along with Colleen, who has taken on the uh, who has taken on this uh, moniker that she doesn't know the name of yet, and so she is following uh, following Danny's example. They do this raid on this uh, on this arms deal, and they are confronted by the uh, hired help of the Yoshida Corps, which is this large man who who Danny recognizes he doesn't know exactly he doesn't remember exactly where he's met him before but he he definitely knows he's in trouble because when he goes to punch this guy his fist stops cold and the guy picks him up and chucks him across the area and this is the big you know fight scene for episode seven um as Danny is fighting this guy, none of his hits are really like doing any kind of damage uh Colleen even less so but uh Danny finally like lights up the uh, Iron Fist ability, his, his hand glows, uh, his right hand, you know, catches on fire, and he's able to finally land a hard blow onto this guy's jaw. Guy kind of staggers back a little bit, and he, like, looks at him, and he's like, 
you're not supposed to be able to do that. And so the two of them like have it out for a little bit more. Um, the Yoshida Corps people there are basically like, we're just going to blow you all up because, you know, you guys are trying to uh, stop this from happening and you're just hired help. So we're going to blow up the whole thing. And the, uh, the bodyguard decides to switch sides and helps to apprehend these Yoshida guys. Um, and introduces himself. He kind of like, after they're able to, uh, you know, cops show up and they're able to apprehend these guys, you know, he kind of like meets with Danny and Colleen in the alley nearby. And he's like, I don't know who you guys are, but you know, I, I've been trying to make money and, you know, they, they shut down my bar a few months ago. And Danny's like, you're from the bar. Like you're, what is that? Luke's Luke's right. And he's like, yeah, I'm Luke Cage. And so this is our intro to Luke Cage. Luke Cage uh, is here. He's trying to make some money. And then we get the final scene, which is the next day, a big meeting between uh, Danny and uh, the Yoshida Corps. Yoshida Corps heads Shingen Harada. And Harada's basically like, you know, you don't have any options. Like, we're your best bet is to sign over your stuff to us. And Danny's like, oh, I've, I've already signed the company over. I've already, you know, you guys are a little late. And that's when Davos walks in having fine. He's finally recovered enough at least to make a public appearance. And he's like, Davos knows everything about this company. So I signed all my stuff over to him. Sorry. And then, you know, that's kind of the end of this episode. So now that Davos is awake, he's able to take on the responsibilities of the company. Danny is able to focus on Orson. So this next episode, episode eight, is essentially leading to Orson versus Danny round two. Uh, the two, Danny is able to finally track Orson down. He's been trying to get out of the city, but every basically because he attacked a public figure every route to get out uh is more or less blocked so he meet so danny finally quarters him on these on the docks these docks with uh shady goings on here so the two of them have a another fight where orson once again is gaining the upper hand until danny is able to finally like something clicks you know orson you know lights up his left fist and he hits Danny. And for a moment, Danny is able to absorb it. There's something that happens where Orson hits Danny with his fist and the glowing fist that Danny has grows bright, uh, grows brighter. And so he's able to finally defeat Orson. You know, he picks him up. He's got his fist up and it's catching on fire. And he's like, why are you trying to kill me? And Orson's like, I'm not trying to kill you. I was trying to kill him. And Dan is like, who? And Orson says, Davos. And so we get to episode nine. So episode nine and episode 10 is a uh, two-parter, which is basically Orson's story. And he tells, uh, he tells Danny, he's basically like, I, um, you know, he he's taken Danny to where he was staying, this little, like, super run down like apartment building this just completely uh empty apartment building that he's been squatting in and so uh he basically tells him the story he tells him that you know what davos told him is correct up to a point um basically orson randall went to uh 
went to Kunlun. He or he was born in Kunlun. He was raised in Kunlun. He became the Iron Fist. He went off to uh, serve in World War II because he he wanted to help save the world, and the horrors of that war stuck with him. And he suffered from trauma and from PTSD. So for the next 10 years, he was forced to kind of, he was basically running from place to place, not, you know, not sure of where his, uh, where his life would go after basically having his world completely turned upside down. And that's when he ran into a man named Wendell Rand, but not the Wendell Rand we're thinking of. This is Danny's grandfather, Wendell Rand the first, where the two of them met while um, uh, Orson was kind of trekking through the U.S. And he and um, he and Wendell Senior, along with his uh, his group called the um, Confederates of the Curious went around and basically for 10 years were searching around and just dealing with all the world's curiosities. Um, following this, he basically told, you know, Wendell, like, he was recalled to Kunlun. He basically told Wendell Rand about Kunlun. He's like, this is a magical holy place. Like, you can come here. We are going to, you know, we'll meet again one day. And so you kind of get the idea that um, basically Wendell passed on this knowledge to his son, who when he and um, who in his you know young adult years went on to find Kunlun, fell in love with a woman there. The two of them became uh, romantically involved, she got pregnant, and all of that kind of cascaded down. So as we come to find out, Orson actually did participate in this tournament, the Tournament of the Heavenly Cities, more on that later, uh, where he won. He won the tournament, which basically allowed for everything to... um, basically allowed for... uh, Kunlun to take its place at the head of the table when it came to the heavenly cities. Uh, he defeated the champion, the crane champion from the city of Kunzi. I want to make sure I got that correctly. Uh, yeah, Kunzi. Um, so following this, following this, um, this tournament, uh, Kunlun was attacked and Kunlun was sold out by UT, also known as New Nuan, because as the times were changing, uh, Nuan has been, you know, he's been in charge, he's been ruling over Kunlun for, you know, hundreds of years, because time works differently in Kunlun, but uh, he saw that with the times changing in the outside world, that people were starting to question him, and they were starting to uh, not go along with everything that all of his old-fashioned ways and traditions. And so following the tournament, when everyone's, you know, champions were pretty much spent, um, Kunzi infiltrated Kunlun and ousted everyone. Ousted everyone, basically raised Kunlun to the ground and took control of Kunlun, and they have been in control of Kunlun since then. This is our big, you know, shield is Hydra the whole time kind of moment where uh, Kunzi has been, you know, basically because Orson defeated uh, defeated the Crane Champion, you know, the 
Kunzi is basically headed up by Crane Mother. Um, more on that later again. Uh, but they basically took revenge, took control of Kunlun, ousted Orson Randall, who went on the run because of you know because he was able to escape, and they have been in control of Kunlun since then. So all the time that Danny was in uh, was in Kunlun, it was really Kunzi. It's revealed that uh, Davos has is essentially the uh, Crane Mother's son, and that he is the son of Crane Mother and another character who was formerly in Kunlun, who uh, Orson doesn't even know if he's alive. So he tells Danny all this. He's like, "I came here to kill Davos because he's the tip of the spear for Crane Mother. If I kill him, then there is a." there is a big chance that we might be able to, you know, liberate Kunlun and get revenge on the people who uh, who wronged us. And Danny is like, what the hell is, like, what is, what are you talking about? Like, this is just, everything that he's known has been a lie at this point. Essentially, we, uh, we get this realization that it was Davos's idea to bring, um, to bring uh, Danny to New York, all of everything that he's been working towards has been a lie, and so um, this is at the moment that uh, we find a so, somehow the uh, the local SWAT has got got some kind of tip that they were staying there, that Orson had been spotted there, and so they firebomb the building. And so the next episode kind of picks up, episode 11, the final episode in Act 2, picks up with Orson and Danny, like, kind of trying to fight their way out of the rubble, trying to dig themselves out, and that is when they are confronted with by Davos. Davos is there, he's the one who gave the... Uh, gave the anonymous tip that they were in the building, that uh, Orson was in the building, and him and a weakened Orson begin to fight. Uh, Danny is basically like telling him, like, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? Davos is like, you have been a tool. You were a tool to get us, you know, we needed an Iron Fist, and here you were. You know, and then when you were ready, when you were trained up, our goal was to bring or was to essentially bring you into the limelight to draw Orson out. You come to find out that in that scene from the um, from the post credits from season one, that the you know when he was looking up and he was looking at the TV, the person he wasn't looking at was Danny. It was Davos standing behind him, and that's what drew him out. And so uh, basically, Davos is just kicking the holy hell out of uh, Orson. And Orson basically, you know, is able to wrestle, you know, Davos away for a moment. And he looks to Danny and he's like, avenge us. Like, everything changes now. And Orson uses his Iron Fist ability to basically bury him and Davos under rubble, killing himself. And so Danny goes on the run. Uh, we come to find out in the next episode episode 12 the start of act three that danny at this point now has lost everything uh danny is pulled out of the rubble by colleen uh they make their way to uh luke cage's place where watching on the tv they find out that davos has survived and now davos is in control of the company uh danny has essentially lost everything um 
They've now also used their resources to spin a tale that Danny was the one who uh, got his parents killed in a power grab. Uh, so basically, Danny, Danny is scorched earth at this point, and they are trying to... Um, Basically, they're trying to figure out what to do when they hear sirens outside of um, Luke Cage's place. They've been tracked to Luke Cage's place. They're able to escape, and the episode ends with a knock on the door. The door opens, showing a just haggard Danny, an exasperated Colleen, and a super, like, uh, confused and frustrated Luke. And the camera kind of pans over, and the person who opened the door, Misty Knight. So, episode 13. Episode 13 is basically, Misty is like, what What have you done? Like, why are you bringing this to my door? And we kind of get like a catch up with Misty kind of figuring out what's gone on with her. The last six months, she's been kind of rising in the ranks in the NYPD, rooting out corruption and everything, exactly what she promised to do. And so she is kind of skeptical after hearing everything about Danny, but she's like, that's not the that's not the guy I know. That's not the person I, you know, in her mind she doesn't say this, but like she's not, that's not the person I fell in love with. And there's I would like there to be this kind of like cute little moment where she gets kind of like what's going on with Danny and Colleen and she like you know, Danny's resting in a room and the two of them are kind of sitting, you know, drinking tea and Misty's just like so uh you and Danny, huh? And Colleen just lets out this gigantic laugh and she's like no, no. I no no, you're more my type than Danny is. And so it's a little change, just a little bit of a change. But um, I think, like I said, I, I want this to be, I want this show to be as inclusive as possible. I think it would be an incredible, uh, an incre- incredible opportunity to have a character who is not only Asian, but is also part of the LGBTQ community. And Colleen is a kick-ass character. So I would, I don't know, I'd, I'd like it. I like that idea. I think it'd be cool. Um, so basically, this episode is committed to kind of like taking a breath and figuring out what to do next. Um, as they are trying to figure out what to do, there is a knock on the door. As they try, everyone's just kind of like, what is going to happen? And you see Luke walk up to the door. He opens it. And they are, uh, there's a man standing there. This towering man. He's even taller than Luke. Kind of standing in the doorway. And Danny, who has, you know, kind of slowly been able to get himself to his feet. He's still kind of recovering. Is like, who are you? Like, what are you doing here? And the man, like, looks past Luke and he says, My name is Lei Kung. I am the Thunderer. And I need your help. And so the next episode, episode number 14, uh, is basically we are going to tell you everything else that we needed that you needed to know about this uh the thunderer who i'm sure people who are fans of iron fist has been auspicious by his absence um you kind of we get the uh backstory that after the fall of kunlun the thunderer went into hiding with the remainder of the um of the uh warriors of kunlun and they have been kind of living in the outskirts, unable to retake the uh, the city. Th- the Thunderer was witness to Danny uh, striking down Shu Lao, uh, knowing that he was going to be used as a tool for uh, Kun Zi to 
uh, try and gain the power of the Iron Fist. He also tells him, you know, during this episode that now that Orson is dead, you have all of the power of the Iron Fist. And so, you know, Danny doesn't really know how to use it because he's been working with half of it so far. Um, and so this episode is basically about the Thunderer saying, we are going to retake Kunlun. Like, with your help, we have an Iron Fist. We can, we now have a fully formed Iron Fist. So let's do this. And so this episode is also kind of dedicated to uh, training with the Thunderer, figuring out, you know, what... What about him needs to change? How can he, you know, defeat Davos? Who knows his all of his capabilities? They're going to figure out how to use the remaining warriors that are left in Kunlun to infiltrate the city and take it back. Um, and they are going to use uh, Danny, Colleen, and Luke as the spearhead. Uh, Misty is basically like, I don't know if I can be a part of this. Um, but I am I am going to do my best to help you. Um, so she is able to get them passage out of the city so that they can uh, find their way back to Kunlun. All the while, you know, we're going to have a training montage of the Thunderer training Danny because the Thunderer, as people who are fans of Iron Fist comics know, he was the one in charge of training Iron Fists both uh, before, during, and after their confrontation with Shulao. And so Danny is starting to, like, really figure out, like, you know, oh, this is a power that I can utilize. This is greater than I thought it was. And so we get to uh, episode 15 which is the eve of the attack. They have, you know, re they reassemble all of the warriors that are left. It's not a huge force, and uh, Kunlun is entirely occupied by Kunzi's forces, but uh, they have a plan. They're going to infiltrate Kunlun. They're going to use the warriors that are left to stage a frontal assault, which will draw most of the forces away from this back entrance. Uh, Danny reveals that when he needed to sneak out of the city to get a breath of fresh air, he and Davos would use these uh, this uh, pipe system underneath the underneath the city to allow them to come and go as they pleased, basically, without the watchful eye of UT and the other um, uh, the other ruling class there in Kunlun. And so they are going to use those tunnels to infiltrate Kunlun, oust uh, UT. If Crane Mother is there, they will figure out how to deal with her, and hopefully they will be able to retake the city back before Crane Mother or Davos returns. And so... On the eve of the attack, uh, Danny is trying to focus himself, and he ends up, you know, kind of um, connecting with the uh, astral spirit of Orson Randall, who's basically telling him, you know, when he, you know, when I had the uh, the um, the Iron Fist, the full capabilities of the Iron Fist power, I didn't know what to do with it. I channeled it into weapons because, you know killing was all I was good for but you have the opportunity to really harness this power and really use it to enact change you know we we have you know the reason that uh Kunlun fell was because it was stuck in its ways and the only way that we are going to be able to move forward with this is to try something new and so uh 
basically the infiltration of Kunlun is on. We are going to figure out what happens in the two-parter, episode 17 and episode 18, the two-part finale of season two, where um, the assault begins. You know, the Thunderer takes his forces to the front gates of Kunlun to try and knock them down and gain uh, Danny, Luke, and Colleen enough time to get into the into the city to infiltrate it and take down UT, who, even though he has lots of knowledge, is a very old man at this point. So as they're making their way through the um, through the uh, sewer system, we keep cutting back where uh, the Thunderer is leading his forces, and they're you know they're able to breach the gate, but once they do, they're overwhelmed. Um, as they get to the end of this pipe system, they are confronted by a figure standing at the opening at the at the exit of the uh, of the underwater system and it's davos davos is like i knew you would try this you know you and i were friends for so long we were brothers come back like we can figure this out you can be our weapon you can be our iron fist and danny's like i am you we're not brothers anymore you know we you lied to me you deceived me for years and Davos basically tells him, like, we need you. Like, you don't know what's coming. It's soon. And we need we need an Iron Fist on our side. And if you're not going to be our Iron Fist, then we'll have to find someone else who can be. And so um, Danny and Davos have this initial fight in the um, in the Underwater Expressway. Uh, or the... Wherever it is. So... <laughs> Um, I can't, I keep referring to it as like a pipe system, a sewer system, an underwater expressway. It's it's all of those things. So they have a brief skirmish before uh, Luke Cage is able to surprise Davos uh, because Davos was not present for any of Luke Cage's stuff. And Luke Cage is able to uh, knock Davos, Davos unconscious for the moment as they make their way into the main city. So... Uh, episode 18 is the big finale. Basically, um, they're able to make their way to uh, to the palace to confront UT, but they find that uh, UT's been dead for a very long time. Uh, the UT that we believed was in control of Kunlun was, in fact, Crane Mother in the guise of UT. And... Uh, Basically, the uh, the city of Kunlun has been left in the ward of Davos, and that's when Davos returns, and he, as well as the uh, elite forces of Kunzi, engage with Danny, Luke, and Colleen. Uh, as they are be- beginning to be overwhelmed, the Thunderer busts in with his forces, having fought tooth and nail to fight their way through the city, and they are able to engage with the other... Um, with the uh, Kunzi elite guard, which leaves uh, Danny to have one final showdown with Davos. And this is, you know, I, I want this essentially to be, you know, like uh, episode three, Revenge of the Sith style, like, you know, big bombastic battle between the two of them as war is going on around them. Uh, we start to see that um, Danny is being a little bit overwhelmed because he is still holding back because of his uh, his relationship, his friendship with Davos. When Colleen begins to uh, 
Colleen basically slides in and she uses her uh, expert strategic mind to like out uh, to outfox Davos and is able to give Danny some breathing room. Uh, she lets Danny know, like, you need to focus up because if he wins here, we're all going to be dead. And so she goes back to fight him, but Davos strikes her down. And that's when Danny just kind of unlocks this, uh, this next level of Iron Fist ability. This is essentially the Iron Fist version of the Avatar state. Uh, his eyes glow with chi energy both of his fists erupt in flame it's not just like the you know flames that would you know touch the end of his arm like these are like pillars of fire shooting out of his arms that are just overwhelming and he is able to defeat davos and they are able to finally successfully take back kunlun um davos is able to escape somehow with the um with the help of the uh, absentee crane mother. And even though Danny knows that, you know, he'll have to eventually face Davos again one day, that it'll be with, uh, with eyes open and that he won't hold back. And so as we come to find out following this, uh, the Thunderer kind of reveals that he is Davos's father, that he briefly had a, um, he had an affair with the crane mother which you know has basically kind of kicked off this whole this whole uh business and so uh the thunderer basically tells danny you know you're welcome to stay here and help us rebuild but you know kunlun is ours again and we will need you soon he doesn't tell danny exactly why but he's like in a year's time we will we will meet again and so danny goes back and he finds you know that through uh hogarth's you know once again legal expertise he's able to you know expose the fraud that davos had um cooked up danny is uh once again given you know his life back essentially but he ends up selling the selling the company to a uh another uh big old um another uh new york company he doesn't really uh specify exactly who and we don't get a whole lot of um emphasis put on it but the company does start with an st so i'll let you draw your own conclusions there and the you know we find that he's you know essentially moving in with luke into a new uh into a new apartment where um they have hung a little uh they've hung a little sign on the door that says heroes for hire in need of money and so um, we come to find out that Colleen is okay. She's alive, but she has unfortunately um, been paralyzed from the waist down. And she has, she's essentially like, you know, it's, it's heartbreaking. Um, so basically um, Colleen is okay, but there is a long road ahead of her. And Danny is committed to being there with her every step of the way. And so um, the last kind of uh, brief moment is him kind of standing in the middle of uh, Times Square, just kind of like, you know, in the sea of people, you know, he got revenge. He finally got everything that he ever wanted. But at the same time, he lost everything as well. And that's when he gets this text from, you know, he gets this text, he opens up his phone and it's a text from Misty, who's like, are you busy? 
And that's when the second season ends, uh, kind of, you know, putting everybody in a certain place. We've introduced all the main care, all the main players. We've revealed the big twist that Danny was being manipulated the entire time, as well as, you know, leave, leaving open the uh, potential for Danny and Misty to get back together. There is a post credit scene here as well where the Thunderer back in Kunlun is helping to rebuild, and he basically tells, you know, one of his um, one of his fellow warriors, he's like, in one year's time, we're going to have to call on him again because the next tournament of the Heavenly Cities starts, and he's our champion. Which brings us to the final season, season three. As we roll into season three, this is the final season of the show. This is the biggest season of the show as well. Um, as you heard, season one was 13 episodes. Season two was 18 episodes. And this season is 23 episodes. Big, old-fashioned, blown-up finale. Uh, season three takes place one year later after the uh, the ending of season two. And uh, Act 1 takes place across episodes 1 through 5, just like the previous seasons. And the first two episodes, the season premiere, is a two-part uh, Heroes for Hire adventure with Danny and Luke in their Iron Fist and Power Man personas taking on odd jobs. Uh, there's basically a lot of different... Um, there's going to be a like a montage of the two of them going through and like doing different stuff. Um, they do get involved with a local mafioso that they have to defend against. And after all the shenanigans, just a fun, like lighthearted uh, season two got really dark. Uh, so season three kind of kicks off with this nice kind of light, fun two-parter. And at the end of episode two, the Thunderer returns to the, um, to the, offices of the heroes for hire with a warning basically telling him that hey uh we need you we're recalling you back to kunlun to participate in the tournament of the heavenly cities so episode three we basically learn alongside danny what the tournament of the heavenly cities is and basically it's a tournament where every i think it's every 88 years a new or every i think in this one i had it at every um 75 years i think was the math that i came up with anyway um every certain amount of time um the the eight cities the eight heavenly cities come together for a tournament where the weapons of each city alongside one second participate in a tournament to decide who the uh basically which city reigns supreme now there are eight cities that are uh involved in this we have kunlun which we all know. Uh, we have Kunzi, which is uh, still up and running, so they will be participating in the tournament. We also have Tiger Island, uh, Peng Lai, which is a peace, more of like a peaceful island of pig farmers. Uh, Tiger Island is basically this uh, tropical paradise where um, 
it's it's weird. The the uh, gender dynamics there are very strange. Uh, we have the Kingdom of Spiders, which is this like dark uh, edge lord kingdom located in Nepal, covered in spider webs. Uh, we also have Zagambo, which is located in uh, Africa. Uh, we have the Undercity, which is the tagline for it is the home of all who are truly lost. Uh, basically, the head of the city, who is also the uh, the immortal weapon of the city, Dog Brother Number One, basically travels the world looking for lost souls and gives them a home. And the Eighth City, which not a whole lot of people know about, but and this is a bit of a retcon from the comics, but the Eighth City is essentially the afterlife. It is a limbo city where um, the Essentially, the ruler of that city can choose their champions from and pretty much any warrior who has died a warrior's death. So, um, it's like I said, it's a little bit of a retcon in the comics. The Eighth City is basically like this hell domain, but I wanted to have them actively participate in this tournament, so I changed it up a little bit. So, basically, the tournament is the is not just for like bragging rights on who's the best city, but the winner of the tournament gets one solitary wish so it is is a wish that can be granted doesn't matter how ridiculous it is um and so the uh cities all come together they have this tournament the winner gets one wish that must be granted and that's pretty much it so episode four involves training for the tournament and deciding who is going to be danny's second and, of course, it ends up being Luke, but while training with the Thunderer, we also kind of reconnect with Colleen, who has, uh, who is now in a wheelchair, but she has essentially kind of become the tactical mind, and she is going to be the person who helps them strategize. She's essentially going to be the coach who lets them, like, okay, so she's going to build up strategy, she's going to help train them for different combat strategies, so she is just as valuable on the team as anybody else is. And then there's going to be a quick little uh, intermission, episode 5, because we haven't had it in any of the other seasons. It's going to be a nice little Christmas episode. So Christmas of uh, of this year, basically, it's this nice kind of intermission. Uh, and Christmas also, at least in this continuity, happens to be Danny's birthday. So Danny Rand uh, has his birthday. Christmas has always been a weird time for him, and he doesn't really understand Christmas as much. He doesn't really remember a whole lot about having to, you know, what Christmas is about. So we get a fun little, like, this is what Christmas is about. And I'm a sucker for Christmas episodes, and I also kind of wanted to have something that kind of stuck with the New York setting because we are going to be spending the rest of this season in the heart of Heaven, which is this ethereal plane where the Tournament of the Heavenly Cities is placed. So, as they arrive, you know, episode 6, everyone is arriving to the uh, tournament grounds, and we get to... We're basically introduced to the other fighters, and we get a little bit of... Uh, we find out what the brackets are for this tournament. So, for the Undercity, we have Dog Brother number one and dog brother number two for zagambo we have the prince of orphans as well as a character named somber somber is a deep cut uh marvel villain that i 
as soon as I like found out kind of what he was about, I had I had to include him in here. Uh, the Kingdom of Spiders is uh, headed up by the Bride of Nine Spiders as well as the Nine Spider King. And we have uh, from Peng Lai, we have Fat Cobra and Young Cobra, two brothers who are fairly you know unassuming. Uh, young young Cobra is very much... He has kind of the same energy as Danny, and the two of them are immediately like rivals. And so um, Fat Cobra is like very large, and he is kind of, you know, more reserved. Uh, from Tiger Island, we have the eponymous Tiger, the ruler of the land, as well as Tiger's beautiful daughter. From the Eighth City, we have two hooded figures that will be revealed at a later time. And from Kun Z, we have... Crane Mother. We see Crane Mother for the very first time, the ruler of Kun Z, and she has only brought one champion with her. That champion being Davos, who has been given the power of the Steel Serpent. Davos is... He is definitely... He's jacked. He's a little bit more battle-hardened, and he is looking for revenge. So, as we get into it, we find out that the reason that there are two champions from each uh, city, is that there's an A block and a B block, and the champions from each block will uh, compete until we have a winner, where is the winner of the A block will then fight the winner of the B block. So this is how the, the A block shakes out. We have, in the first round, we have Danny versus Somber, Dog Brother number two versus the versus one of the mysterious 8th City Champions. We have Bride of Nine Spiders versus Young Cobra. And we have Tiger versus Davos. That's right. Davos and Danny are in the same bracket. In the B block, since... Um, Essentially, since uh, Kunzi only arrived with one champion, someone's getting a buy. And after they pull, they basically draw straws. Uh, Luke Cage gets a buy into the second round. So Luke Cage does not have to compete in the first round. In the first round, we have Tiger's Beautiful Daughter against Dog Brother number one. We have Fat Cobra against the other champion from the Eighth City. And we have the Prince of Orphans against King Spider. Or the Nine Spider King, sorry. Uh, so basically, that's how it shakes out, and we're just going to jump right into it. So episode seven, day one, day one is all A block. So day one, uh, episode seven starts off with Danny versus Somber, and this fight is basically Somber has this uh, corrosive touch, so anything that he touches with his hands, he can essentially disintegrate and his uh, touch is basically like acid. So Danny has to uh, utilize his uh, Iron Fist abilities to turn his the flames around his fists into projectiles to be able to defeat Somber. And he's able to do that through the coaching of Colleen, who shouts to him like, you can't touch him, you got to figure out some kind of ranged fighting. So... Danny defeats Somber and moves on to the next round. Uh, in episode eight, we have two uh, round one fights, which involves uh, Dog Brother number two versus the uh, first champion from 
the eighth city, which is revealed to be Orson Randall. That's right. Dead man Orson Randall is back. He is part of the tournament, and he defeats Dog Brother number two. He will be meeting Danny Rand in the next round. Then, it, also in this episode, we have uh, Young Cobra defeat the Bride of Nine Spiders. Young Cobra has vowed to meet Danny Rand in the finals of the A block, and the two of them will... Uh, basically have this like friendly rivalry that we're we're gonna we're gonna do this um it's kind of revealed in conversations between the two of them that uh peng lai has pretty consistently in every single tournament been one of the first cities completely bounced from the tournament so no one really gives them any kind of respect no one really gives them you know or their city any kind of reverence so they have you know a a lower seed will say when it comes to the uh, to the tournament itself. And then in episode number nine, we have the final uh, we have the final A block first round match on day one, which is Tiger versus Davos. And in this episode, alongside the fight, we get the kind of interspersed, we get Davos's story between season one and season two, him returning to Kunzi, being tortured by Crane Mother for um, for failing, and then training himself up to become the steel serpent of Kun Z so that he can enact revenge on Danny Rand. And it's basically revealed in this flashback to us, the audience, that the wish that Davos has when he, uh, or in his mind, like I said, in his mind when he wins, is that he will basically destroy Kunlun. He'll wipe it off the map. So that is the end of episode 9. Episode 10, we jump to day 2 in the first round of the B block. First off, we have uh, Tiger's Beautiful Daughter versus Dog Brother number 1. And Tiger's Beautiful Daughter bounces Dog Brother number 1 from the tournament. I, I want this to be kind of a fun little... Uh, Tiger's beautiful daughter is kind of using like her feminine wiles to distract the very hyper-disciplined dog brother, but he isn't able to um, <laughs> to uh, get past it, and he gets uh, tricked and defeated. Uh, also, in this episode, we will have Prince of uh, Prince of Orphans versus the uh, Nine Spider King, and in this. Uh, in this episode, or in this round, Prince of Orphans very handily defeats the, the uh, Nine Spider King, which means that the, um, see here, the Kingdom of Spiders is officially out of the tournament. Then, in episode number 11, also in day two in the B block, we get the reveal of the Eighth City's other... Um, other champion, which is Zhang Zhu. If you don't know who that is, he is essentially in the greater Marvel Universe. This is, again, kind of giving teases to other characters. He's the father of Shang-Chi and a known sorcerer. So the Eighth City was kind of stacking its its deck with Orson Randall, the previous winner of the tournament of the uh, Heavenly Cities, as well as a as an accomplished sorcerer like Zhang Zhu. But Fat Cobra defeats Zhang Zhu, and we get that full-on backstory for Fat Cobra, basically uh, showing his upbringing, showing the shame that Peng Lai has had to suffer through uh, through generations because of their lackluster performance in the tournament, that they've never won, and that Fat Cobra might be their one chance to win the tournament. So 
We go into day three with episode 12, which is the semifinals of the A block, and we get Danny versus Orson round three. And this time, not only does Orson Randall not have his Iron Fist abilities, but Danny Rand is fully equipped as a fully realized Iron Fist. And yet, Orson still gives him a run for his money. The two of them are able to uh, reconnect and reconcile all of the um, damage that had happened. Um, Orson, the first question that he um, that he asks Danny is basically like, did you win? And Danny's like, I'm standing here, I'm the Iron Fist. So they get to, you know, kind of have a nice uh, reconciliation. And Danny does end up defeating Orson. And at that point, Orson returns to the... Um, to the eighth city and to the afterlife alongside uh, Zhang Zhu. They are out, and the eighth city has been bumped from the tournament. Next up, in episode tw- uh, 13, we have the rest of day three, which is uh, the semifinal, the other semifinal match in A Block, which uh, pits Young Cobra against Davos, and Davos decimates this man because he sees him as Danny Rand and he basically makes an example of him to send a message to Danny about what he's going to do to him and he cripples young Cobra and so this not only draws the ire of Danny but also draws the ire of Fat Cobra. Fat Cobra now has a target on Davos. We also, in this episode, get uh, the first semifinal match for the B block, which pits Luke Cage against Tiger's Beautiful Daughter. And even though uh, Tiger's Beautiful Daughter does try to unleash her feminine wiles on Luke Cage, Luke basically tells her, I've got a pregnant wife at home, and just knocks her out of the tournament, again alluding to Jessica Jones and their little daughter, Danny. So, um, Next up in uh, episode, sorry, uh, episode 14, we get the final semifinal match in B Block, pitting Fat Cobra against Prince of Orphans, and Fat Cobra is a man possessed. After seeing the uh, injury that Young Cobra suffered at the hands of Davos, he is keyed in on hurting Davos and getting to the finals, and he just whoops Prince of Orphans, um, bouncing him from the... Uh, bouncing him from the uh, tournament. And as we head into the finals of each block, the only cities that remain in the tournament are Kunlun, Kunzi, and Peng Lai. This is the first time Peng Lai has made it this far in the tournament. And this is a big deal. As we come to find out in the rest of this episode, it's kind of like an intermission before um, the final two rounds. Um, Everyone is starting to look at Fat Cobra, and they're like, this might be the guy. This might be the guy who does that. So as we head into Act 3, also, sorry, during this intermission, uh, we come to find out that um, the Thunderer has granted uh, passage to Misty Knight to get um, Danny some support as he's feeling, you know, a little worn down and he knows that he's facing Davos in the final round of the B block. So Misty is there to uh, cheer him on 
They reconnect, and then we head into Act 3, Episode 15. Day 4 is the uh, finals of each block. Uh, Day 4 kicks off with the B-block final, which is Fat Cobra versus Luke Cage. Uh, Episode 15 and Episode 16 are two-part between the two, where Luke Cage is throwing everything he can at Fat Cobra. They are trying their best, but Fat Cobra just will not go down. And the two of them end up just decimating the ring around them. Fat Cobra ends up defeating Luke Cage and to send a message injures, critically injures Luke Cage in the process. He is on the path to destruction at this point, and he will not let anyone stand in his way. Episode 17 and episode 18, we get the finals of the A block with Danny versus Davos. And this is a knockdown, drag out brawl, the two of them just absolutely laying into each other. Um, also, I must have, I should have mentioned this. Um, after Fat Cobra defeats Luke Cage, he basically makes the declaration that after he wins this tournament, his wish will be to wish away every other uh, heavenly city. So basically, Davos, with his wish, will wish away um, Kunlun and Fat Cobra to raise the, uh, I guess, raise the prominence of Pang Lai, will wish away every other heavenly city. So pressure's on. And Danny and Davos absolutely lay into each other for episodes 17 and 18. And so much so that they battle to a draw. They both collapse. It is a uh, double KO. But because there needs to be a winner for each uh, block, they basically decide to carry Danny and Davos into the finals. So... Finals of the heavenly uh, finals of the tournament of the heavenly cities is going to be a triple threat match between Danny Davos and Fat Cobra. Everything is on the line here. Um, also, uh, day nineteen or day nineteen, day four, episode nineteen uh, is kind of the calm before the storm before we get into the finals, and Danny and Misty finally get a moment to really kind of reconcile everything, and. Misty kind of tells him, like, you know, I'm, st- you know, the world has gotten so strange, and I, you know, I never forgot about you. The two of us, like, we continue to run into each other, and I wanted to be here to help you, to support you. And Danny is taken aback by this, and he promises her that after the tournament, they are going to talk, and he is going to um, make a decision about what to, you know, what to do, because if. If he does win, then his um, he's pretty much done everything he needs to do in the real world, and the opportunity to become the guardian or the full time guardian of Kunlun and guard the uh, guard the next generation and prep them for the next generation of Iron Fist is there. So he decides to let Misty know that he is he is seriously thinking about it, but he wants to talk to her after the finals. So episodes 20, 21, and 22, day five, it is the finals. It's a three-part gigantic finals. Um, I want this to be knockdown, drag-out brawl. I want Danny and Davos to focus on each other while Fat Cobra is trying to decimate them both. And ultimately, what ends up happening is that um, Danny and Davos have this kind of uh, come to Jesus moment where they realize that, yeah, Davos's hate for Danny was 
the same kind of uh, the same kind of hate that drove um, that started off Danny's whole story with Harold's uh, envy of Wendell Rand's love and fortune causing him to kill him. In the same way, Davos has been looking at Danny as this, you know, chosen one character for so long, and he knows that all he all he ever wanted really was for Danny to accept him. The two of them were brothers, and Danny always did, but in Davos's eyes, he was never going to be, you know, the one who um the champion of Kudlun. He was never going to be someone who was looked at with honor because of his background, his upbringing, being the, um, you know, being the, uh, the child of Crane Mother. He was destined to be a villain, but Danny tells him, you know, it doesn't have to be that way. Fat Cobra wants to wipe out every other city. You and I have to make sure that doesn't happen. And so we get this, you know, Final reconciliation between the two of them where uh, Davos, you know, also kind of reveals he's like, once this is over, like I go back to Kunzi, I'm locked to Kunzi, I'm the crane champion and I will serve at the foot of the crane mother for the rest of my life. And so this is, if I win, you know, this means I will be able to have something. And so the two of them ready themselves and we get this very much like uh, Dragon Ball Super you know final push against Jiren kind of moments where uh, Danny and Davos are trying to fight Fat Cobra Fat Cobra is overwhelming in his strength but they are able to um, come together and we get you know this callback to the uh, season one finale when Davos and Danny were fighting uh, Harold's forces in the uh, airplane hangar where you get to see them kind of repeat some of their uh, old fighting techniques their combo moves and it's this reconciliation between the two that they finally get to have and they are able to push uh, Fat Cobra out of the ring alongside Davos so Danny ends up winning the tournament of the heavenly cities which brings us to episode 23 the series finale of Iron Fist, the animated series. And this is basically just kind of like an epilogue. This is talking about, you know, the cities were all remained intact. Um, Danny basically took the, um, took the uh, stance that hate has carried through everything that has um, driven what is going on with the cities for the last, you know, for his entire lifetime, and he's not going to let that happen ever again. Uh, we cut back, and we have uh, Danny essentially, you know, being there for the birth of Luke's child, who he names Danny. Um, we see Colleen basically setting up her own dojo alongside uh, Misty Knight, who has uh, joined up with her and wanting to learn more about the culture. And so they set up the the Nightwing Dojo. I know, I know, in the uh, in the comics it was a de detective agency, but I really wanted this to be a thing. So you get that, and you come to find out in this episode that Danny used his wish to free Davos and make him the guardian of Kunlun, giving him 
giving him purpose. And we find out that his purpose, guarding Kunlun, is to guard the egg that will one day hatch into the reincarnated Shu Lao. So he will get to usher in the next generation. And then the final scene from the uh, from the series is Danny knocking on Misty's door. Misty opens up and Danny basically tells her like he's he's going to stay in New York with her because, you know, he has been trying to be the Iron Fist for his entire life. And while he's never going to stop being the Iron Fist, he'd like to find out who Danny Rand really is. So the ending and I want I really want this, the two of them kind of talking um, and she says, you know, Go, you know, close the door before the draft gets in. And he kind of runs up, you know, he does a little jog up to the door. He goes to close the door and very, um, whatever happened to the man of tomorrow, Superman style, he kind of goes to the door and kind of gives a wink and he shuts the door. And that is the Iron Fist animated series. This was long. There was a lot um, that went into this. There was a lot of episodes to cover. So thank you for, um, sticking it out with me uh so um like i said this has been a labor of love for a very long time i think an iron fist animated series is long overdue and hopefully i brought honor to danny rand It is now time for the weekly review. This is the segment of our show where I review something weekly. And this week we are reviewing the newest episode of Season 2 of The Mandalorian entitled Chapter 12, The Siege. So if you'll remember last episode, our uh, our hero Mando basically got the first big lead to getting the child back to uh, his people and was given... Uh, basically direction by Bo-Katan to find Ahsoka Tano. So he went off into space to go find her. Or not. Because this episode finds his ship basically kind of falling apart, and it looks like it's not going to make the journey to the uh, forest planet that he was directed to go to. So he and the child make a little pit stop back to Navarro, the main uh, setting of last season. Uh, this, of course, brings us face-to-face -face again with Grief and Kara, which were uh, kind of his two allies at the end of last season. And honestly, it was really cool going back to Navarro, seeing the town that we, the entire story kicked off with. Um, I, you know, it's complicated feelings with at least one half of those characters. I'm a big fan of uh, the Grief character. I think he's, there is so much potential for him. And him being played by Carl Weathers is just amazing. I love it so much. But um, Cara Dune and uh, Gina Carano is not someone I'm super excited to see which is unfortunate but the episode was really really cool and the premise or the promise of uh the 
episode being called The Siege, I was like really excited about. It. And I was like, oh man, they're going to have to protect the town again from, you know, the these stormtroopers. But it's not so much a siege as much as it is an infiltration. Uh, so basically, Mando goes with Grief and Kara to this, like, it looks kind of like a dam. It's like one of the last Imperial holdouts on the planet. And so... They're basically going in there to take out the skeleton crew that's there and destroy the base. Unfortunately, they find out that it's not really a skeleton crew and it's not really like the last vestiges of the Empire because it is a fully stocked and staffed base that they have to infiltrate. And they go through, they manage to, you know, kick off a chain reaction that would destroy the base. But on their way out, they find this lab, and you come to find out that the whole reason that uh, Moff Gideon wanted the child in the first place was to use its blood to do some kind of, like, experimentation maybe with cloning or something um i have to assume that this is you know kind of similar to the inquisitors and stuff like that so i mean we'll see we'll see what that ends up being because there is an ominous uh a little tease at the end where we finally get to see uh, Moff Gideon in person for the first time this season, where he is like standing in a lab with possible um, other, you know, successful clone experiments. I don't know. It's terrifying. But uh, honestly, the real, um, the real champion, the real hero of this episode were the vehicles. Star Wars has always been full chock full of incredible vehicle designs incredible um vehicle action sequences and the if your preferred uh method of star wars action is using ships and vehicles this is the episode for you because there is this big old chase between this carrier that is um be that contains uh Kara grief and their little uh their little their little uh, indentured servant uh and it's at first chased by speeder bikes which was really cool I loved seeing the speeder bikes again and then was chased by uh tie wings so it was a really fun sequence it was almost it's strange um this is probably the most mando light episode this season uh which was kind of a welcome change you know if you have too much of uh one character even if it is the lead character you know it can get a little stale so i liked putting the spotlight on these characters uh especially because we were familiar with them and getting to have that really fun chase sequence across the desert that was across the rocky terrain that was navarro really really cool um also as we come to find out, you know, the whole sequence ends with Mando's repaired ship flying in and blowing up the TIE fighters and then, you know, sailing off into space to go find Ahsoka Tano. However, the, uh, the early on when he first arrived, you know, Grief was like, oh, I'll put my best two mechanics on it. There was one mechanic who was very sketchy. And as we come to find out, sketchy mechanic is in fact very sketchy because he is a spy for Gideon who I guess puts some kind of like tracker on uh, Mano's ship. So I I really dig this episode. Really good um, plot and narrative uh, forward driven. I don't know how, where my words went with that. That was a weird, weirdly constructed sentence, but this drove the plot forward. It continued to build up the intrigue of what Gideon's plans are and why the child is so important to the empire. Uh, there's a great little scene afterwards as well. I don't, again, Gina Carano, but, um, the scene with the, uh, 
with the X-Wing pilot from, uh, I believe, the second episode was really fun, where he's talking to Grief, and he's like, you know, we've got, you know, radio transmissions and stuff. He's like, oh, please, like, I know your bluff. And he's, I just, I like the... Um, the subplot of this, you know, X-Wing pilot who's slowly, like, patrolling and trying to figure out what Mando's up to. It was really fun. I enjoyed it. And uh, as we, you know, exit this episode, we're back on. We're back on the road to find Ahsoka. Um, hopefully, I kind of said last week, I was like, if we don't see Ahsoka next week, uh, it wouldn't surprise me, and it didn't surprise me. I'm glad that we got this episode that kind of brought us back to the roots of Season 1 of The Mandalorian, and it fixed up his ship, which w- which was sorely needed. His ship was being held together by string, duct tape, and a dream. And I'm glad that we now get to kind of reset him back to his ship being in mostly pristine condition and they can head off to find Ahsoka Tano. So next week, we might see Ahsoka Tano. We'll see. No confirmation. Again, I'm not going to get my hopes up until I see her on my screen. But if we do see her, can't wait. I'm really excited. So uh, catch us next week. We'll check back in with the Mandalorian. We'll uh, we'll keep up and give you updates on our uh, Tano watch, as I'll as I'll call it from here on out. And uh, for now, let's roll right on into this week's comics countdown. Ooh, welcome back to this week's Comics Countdown. This is the segment of our show where I talk about the comics that I think you should be picking up this week. Whether it's at your local comic book shop, a comiXology, or however you get your comics, these are the ones I think you should definitely take a look at. But before we get into this week's books, we've got to take a look back at last week's books with the Geek Explain Pick of the Week of last week. And for me, very easy choice. Uh, it was Captain America number 25, written by Ta-Nehisi Coates with art by Leonard Kirk. Um, this book was fantastic. It was a great little story, but as good as the main uh, story was, I was more, I fell in love with the backup, which was this awesome story by Michael Cho and Anthony Falcone. Um, Cap is essentially going to the funeral of a friend of his, this um, Asian immigrant that he had kept up with throughout the years, and it's just... Man, it's such a great story. I just, I love when um, the Asian immigrant experience is used and utilized in stories to basically like give a whole new um, context to the American dream. It's a great story. If you haven't read this book, pick up this issue just for that backup story. It is so good. One of my favorite Captain America stories in a while. And honestly, I wouldn't mind this team returning. Uh, this might be a tease for what happens after Ta-Nehisi Coates leaves the Captain America book and goes back to Black Panther. Um, but we'll see. We'll see what happens. But that's last week's books. Let's talk about this week's books. We've got one, two, three, four, five, six, eight. Eight books, a big week for comics. So uh, let's go ahead and just jump straight into it, starting off with Dark Knight's Death Metal, The Multiverse Who Laughs, number one. Um, okay, so here's the thing. Uh, Death Metal number five was fine. I, I'm losing steam on this series, <laughs> but I'm trying to keep up with all the tie-ins. Um, for the most part, now I can say the majority of the tie-ins have been really, really great. Um, you know, 
order to exceptions now, but um, I've been enjoying them so far, and this promises to be something interesting. It looks like it's going to be essentially an anthology story with a bunch of writers and creators, or writers and artists on here, so many so oh, that I'm just going to, I'm going to skip past the creators because there are too many to list. Um, but let's just go ahead and jump into the synopsis here. The DC Multiverse is a collection of alternate reality worlds where anything is possible. Each world tells the tale of a possible split in reality, or shows how lives vary depending on a single, solitary decision. But now that the multiverse has been destroyed, the Batman Who Laughs has used his godlike power to create a new dark multiverse, a collection of 52 evil worlds, each more terrifying than the last. This one-shot offers the curious and the brave a glimpse into the nightmare realities that the Batman Who Laughs has created in tales by creators who know what it means to have a truly twisted sense of misfit humor. An Arkham Asylum even more terrifying than what we know? A world of evil super pets? All that and more in these new tales of the multiverse who laughs. So, um... I'm pretty sure we're not going to go through all 52 of these worlds, but I think it is interesting. Um, I still think that the Dark Multiverse uh, books that we've been getting are... I, I don't know if this infringes upon them or not. Um, I really enjoyed the last Dark Multiverse one. It was about Hush. Really, really cool uh, recontextualization of that story. But... I mean, I'll give it a shot. I'll give this a shot. So next we roll on into Legion of Superheroes number 11, written by Brian Michael Bendis, with art by Wade Von Grabauger. I'm so sorry. And Ryan Sook. Um, I'm going to continue giving this book a shot. I'm going to continue giving this book a shot, even though I know that Rogel Czar is showing up in this book. Um, I am going to grit my way through it. So we will see exactly what happens here. Let's just go ahead and dive into the synopsis. Here. For a thousand years, the planet Krypton has been rebuilding itself, and the House of Zod has kept the legacy of Krypton alive throughout the galaxy. For a thousand years, the capital city of Kandor, home of the hero known as Mon-El, has been a beacon of hope across the universe. But now, the shocking news that Superboy has come to live in the 31st century with the Legion of Superheroes has awoken Krypton's greatest foe. How can the Legion of Superheroes stop the destruction of new Krypton? Plus, dive into the mystery behind Gold Lantern. So there's stuff in here that I'm interested in. Uh, Gold Lantern, of course, I'm really into. And of course, Monel. Uh, more Monel, the better. But again, Rogozar kind of tips it, tips that scale uh, very heavily. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. Uh, next up, we have X Men number 15, written by. Uh, Jonathan Hickman with art by Mahmoud Asrar. Uh, this is uh, chapter 20 of Ten of Swords. This is, if not the final chapter, like we're in the last act of it. And I am prepared to be incredibly lost. Um, at some point, because I've gotten some really good recommendations to check this event out, uh, mostly by Malcolm, shout out to him. Um, I will eventually go back and read the whole thing collected. But for now, I'm just picking up my normal X book. So let's go ahead and just dive into the synopsis here. X of Swords, Chapter 20. A Great Division. Bitter Victories. Bitterer Hearts. So again, lots of lots of explaining, lots of exposition, but again, we are 
nearing the tail end of this, I've heard that some mutants have died already, so um, I'm ready. I'm ready to be kind of spoiled. We'll see what happens. Uh, next up on the list, we have Batman Superman number 14, written by Joshua Williamson with art by Max Rayner. Um, this is continuing on the story from the last issue. It feels like it's been a while, like more more so than usual. It feels like it's been a long time since the last issue came out. I'm sure it's just been a month, but... Maybe it's because the past month has been the equivalent of 30 day or 30 weeks. So uh, we'll see. But I I sort of remember what was happening in this. Um, we do have the return, and it says in here too, the return of the composite Batman Superman, which is just my kind of ridiculous. So we'll see what happens. Uh, let's go ahead and just dive into the synopsis here. New Villain Alert, The Composite Batman Superman Enter the Composite Batman Superman. The Dark Knight and the Man of Steel are trapped inside the Brainiac's... The Brainiac Protocol's Deadly Moon Base. And this psychotic AI will not stop until it has merged with the beings it believes are its creators. And merging is exactly what our heroes are doing, as the deadly new fusion of the world's finest duo emerges to wreak havoc in the name of Brainiac. Can Steel and Batwoman turn the tide and save their friends? So yeah, just the right kind of ridiculous. Um, I'm really excited about this. Joshua Williamson has been doing the Lord's work making sure that this book continues to roll on with a collection of great artists. So I can't wait to pick this book up. And next on the docket, we have Shang-Chi number three. This is written by Jean Lun Yang with art by DK Ruan and Philip Tan. I've been really enjoying this so far. Um, like I said last time we covered this in this segment, um, if you are a novice to Shang-Chi, if you know nothing about the character, this is a great jumping on book for you. Um, let's just go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Brothers and Sisters Part 3 Deadly family reunion. Shang-Chi gets to know the family he never knew he had. But which of his siblings can he trust and which are trying to kill him? Witness the horrifying origin of Shang-Chi's father. So we all know, if you are familiar with the Shang-Chi story, that his father is a terrible person. Just the worst. Um, but the cover, which the uh, synopsis doesn't you know, talk about it all, says these words, okay? Shang-Chi versus Sister Dagger versus zombie vampires. Zombie vampires. Shang-Chi, Kung Fu, zombie vampires, all you really need to know. So, um, yeah, that's, like I said, this book has been great. The art's been fantastic. Writing has been stellar. The action is awesome, and you should be reading this book for sure. Next up, we have Batman White Knight Presents Harley Quinn number two. This is written by Katana Collins with art with art by uh, Matteo Scalera. Uh, I really dug that first issue. Really, really liked it. Um, and I'm excited that they are uh, building upon the new status quo that uh, White Knight established for Harley Quinn. The idea of two Harley Quinns representing, you know, the changing um, version of Harley Quinn over the years, I think is still such a fantastic, fantastic uh choice and i'm glad that they're building upon it making the neo joker which is the new quote-unquote harley quinn be the one that's in the relationship with poison ivy I, I love that i really love that because it not only um still keeps intact one of the best uh relationships in the entire uh history of 
um, of DC Comics, but it's also giving the opportunity to humanize Neo Joker, which after uh, the initial White Knight book we really needed. So I can't wait to pick this up. Uh, let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Gotham City's elusive serial killer, the Starlet, and her mysterious benefactor reach the pinnacle of their power, terrorizing the city and teasing the GCPD with strange clues and a famous new victim. Harley goes rogue and hunts down a shocking major lead in the case, but her ruthless style backfires and she puts herself at the mercy of Commissioner Montoya for a shot at redemption. When FBI agent Hector Quimby becomes an ally in a crucial moment, he and Harley forge a partnership that will soon take them down a familiar and ominous road. So that's exciting. Uh, <laughs> uh, like I said, I've been really, I love everything about the White Knight universe. Um, I'm really glad that we're getting these, not so much side stories, but expansions on the uh on the bigger White Knight books. Um, this is required reading if you've been enjoying the White Knight uh the White Knight stories, so I'm really looking forward to this, and I'm a huge sucker for uh, old-school Hollywood, so I really enjoy this. Uh, next up here, we have Daredevil number 24, written by Chip Zdarsky, with art by Mike Hawthorne. Uh, this is uh, the next part of Truth Dare. Uh, we got the cliffhanger ending uh, to last issue, where uh, Matt Murdock is now uh, being... Defended in court by Matt Murdock. Uh, Mike is on the board officially, as you uh, as you would know if you read the previous annual. Um, I'm really looking forward to this. I love stories that deal with um, the duality of Daredevil's character. Um, and I can't wait. I really can't wait to pick this up. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Truth or Dare, Part 4. The verdict on Daredevil. Back in red, but for how long? As Hell's Kitchen still reels from the chaos unleashed upon its streets by the Stromwinds, its citizens are looking for something to hold accountable. Meanwhile, his owner, Mayor, his owner Mayor Wilson Fisk, now a hero in the eyes of his citizens, sets his sight on a new venture with a dangerous ally at his side. So, again, I love what i love about this book is the dual storylines going on with matt and wilson which has they've been intertwined and linked for so many years but this is the first book in a long while that really feels like you're experiencing both of their stories at the same time so i enjoy it i'm a sucker for mike hawthorne art as well i can't wait to pick this up and check that out um and this is a this is a must read this is one of the best series going on right now in all of comics so do yourself a favor if you haven't been reading this catch up and pick up this issue but the big book of the week the book i think you should would absolutely 100% be picking up is The Other History of the DC Universe number one. This is written by John Ridley with art by Andrea Cucci and Giuseppe uh, Camincoli. Uh, we have been waiting for this book for a while. Um, it was announced a while ago, and we are finally here. We are finally getting it. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, if you have no idea what this book is, let's do the synopsis, and then we'll talk about the book. 
Academy Award-winning screenwriter John Ridley examines the mythology of the DC Universe in this compelling new miniseries that reframes iconic moments of DC history and charts a previously unexplored socio-political thread as seen through the prism of DC superheroes who come from traditionally disenfranchised groups. This unique new series presents its story as prose by Ridley, married with beautifully realized illustrations by Giuseppe Camincoli and Andrea Cucci. Issue number one follows the story of Jefferson Pierce, the man who will one day become Black Lightning, as he makes his way from being a young track star to a teacher, and ultimately to his role as a hero. Future issues focus on characters such as Karen and Mal Duncan, Tatsu Yamashiro, and Renee Montoya. Extensively researched and masterfully executed, the other history of the DC Universe promises to be an experience unlike any other. You may think you know the history of the DC Universe, but the truth is far more complex. The other history of the DC Universe isn't about saving the world. It's about having the strength to simply be who you are. I love this. I'm really excited about this. Viewing the uh, big moments of the DC Universe through the eyes of smaller characters has always been such a fascinating premise for me. And the fact that we're getting a really great team to tell this story is uh, makes this a must-read. So definitely, definitely pick this up. So to recap, we have Dark Knight's Death Metal, The Multiverse Who Laughs, number one, Legion of Superheroes, number 11, X-Men number 15, Batman Superman number 14, Shang-Chi number 3, Batman White Knight Presents Harley Quinn number 2, Daredevil number 24, and The Other History of the DC Universe number 1. And that is going to bring us to the wrap-up. If this is your first time joining us on the Geeksplain podcast, please feel free to subscribe to us on the podcasting platform of your choice. It really does help us out. Also, helps me out if you can give us a rating and review, especially on Apple. Uh, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, whatever you want to call it, really just raises the Geeksplain stock in the podcast uh, space and gets us out and into the orbit of listeners just like you. And if you give us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, whatever you want to call it, uh, I will read your review here on the podcast, right? Whatever you want. If you give me those five stars, I'll read it here. You can join the likes of Seafire ND, Josh from Panels to Pixels, and Matt Draper. So hats off to those gentlemen and I can't wait to read more reviews. This is, after all, a podcast by geeks or by a geek for geeks. So uh, any and all um, feedback is welcome. Also, if you uh, want to be part of our Geeksplain mailbag, feel free to write in any questions you have. If you want to get my opinions on something, if you want me to give you a quick pitch on my idea, if you have an idea and you want to see what I would do with it, feel free to send all of those questions to geeksplained at gmail.com. Put mailbag in the subject line and I will read it as part of the mailbag. Uh, I love getting mail from you guys. It really does warm my heart to get an email talking about the podcast. And I just, I love having these kind of conversations. So that's the whole reason I made this podcast in the first place, is to have uh, geeky conversations with people who are willing to listen. So that pretty much does it for this week's episode. But this is not the only Geeksplain goodness you're going to be getting. Tomorrow, I am 
happy to announce and uh, kind of remind as well that um, we are going to be participating in the Praise Patrol series. Uh, we'll be dropping a full audio version of our entry, and depending, it might get put up on YouTube. We're figuring that out right now, but um, it's a whole series based on the love and the love that we have for Doom Patrol. I'm doing a very special entry that is close to my heart. I uh, can't wait for you all to check it out, so make sure you uh, check out the feed tomorrow and if you're on YouTube you know type in praise patrol in the search bar and you will find the entire playlist so pretty much that does it I think for the month of uh, November next week we are diving into December and not just December we're diving into December. That's right. We're talking Daredevil. Uh, we are getting the return of um, special guest Matt Draper, and we are going to be covering our favorite Daredevil issues of all time. I cannot wait for you to listen to this. We had a great conversation, and I can't wait to share it with you. Um, so tune in next week for that same geek time, same geek channel. But for now, for Geek Explain, this is Eric Azana. Thank you very much for listening. Stay safe, and we will see you next time. Mm-hmm.